Hey folks, we're back for our wrap-up episode, talking about Season 5 as a whole instead of individual episodes. Also allows us to circle back and answer a lot of the great questions you guys had for us that we just didn't have time for. It's kind of funny how our episodes have felt rushed. Well, so have the Game of Thrones episodes. That's that's one theme I would I would point to, especially as a book reader. I think even people who have read the sh- read the show, <laughs> only people, even people who have watched the show and haven't read the books, might agree that some of the things have seemed rushed, even though they have nothing to compare them to. So we'll be talking about things like that and lots of other fun topics. So much to talk about and things to predict and get ahead. We're going to really focus on questions. Today, we're going to spend most of the time answering questions, but Sean's got some things he wants to talk about, and I've got some questions for Sean, and we've got a few announcements and pieces of news, so we'll get through that and have as much fun as we can possibly have in these two hours. This episode is going to be a bit less analytical and a little bit more about geeking out and talk about what we liked and didn't like, but of course, good questions are good questions, and a lot of these are real, I've I've read a lot of the questions in advance, I know a lot of you guys will be posting more questions as this episode runs. But we are what we are, and we're analytical people. So even though even when we try to sit back and, and have a little more fun and geek out, we're still going to be very analytical along the way. I'm going to talk about how I like to analyze what I like. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to start with the most important question that we'll tackle today, which is usually the most important question. We've been asking it a lot lately. Sean, what are you drinking today? This is, once again, Mountain Dew mixed with fruit punch. I have found Mountain Dew is very mixable with lots of it. You can't mix Coke with orange juice. Yeah. You can mix Mountain Dew with orange juice. It just becomes sweet carbonated orange juice. It's good stuff. All right. This is Fruit Punch mixed with, uh, with the, the red Mountain Dew. I imagine that a good third of, of listeners right now are rushing to make this exact same beverage <laughs> if they have the ingredients. Yeah. Well, I've told you the ingredients, but not the proper ratio, so don't even try to copy me. Yeah, you might cause explosions <laughs> or... Your beer might grow out all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) That's the secret to growing a lot. Careful, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very careful. Be very careful. A few more bits of news before we dive into the questions. We're going to do a book to show episode this week as well. We're lining up some special guests. I won't announce who they are yet because not everyone is confirmed, but we should have a lot of people, and we're going to do what's basically an awards show I have prepared a lot of best of, worst of, favorite, least favorite type questions. Some of them are pretty uh, straightforward, but some of them are a little sneaky and subtle. We'll also discuss our answers, so that'll be a lot of fun. So this is effectively our last Game of Thrones Q&A for the season, since we're not going to do a Q&A for the Book to Show episode because we have so many guests. We're not going to have time to handle questions. I've, I've brought up my own questions. Of course, we are going to be doing Q&A regularly starting sometime in the future, but that will be book-centric until Season 6 comes along, and then we'll be back to doing Q&A for show topics. For more information on the book topic Q&A information, check out Patreon, www.patreon.com slash historyofwesteros. We've got some more info up there. And we'll also be playing uh, Game of Thrones Risk sometime soon. We're going to get a, an advanced copy of that from our friend and, and listener, Andrew Wolf. We haven't gotten the copy yet, but we're going to be doing some things with uh, some fun things with regard to that. So check us out on social media for updates on that. At Westeros History on Twitter, History of Westeros on Facebook, and we're also on SoundCloud as History of Westeros, and of course, 
If you're already watching us on YouTube, you've got us here already. I don't want to catch you too off guard with this disease, but if I dive into book two, I don't know if we'd do some kind of book review or Q&A. Sure, we could do that. That would be book-centric. Yeah, so folks, if you want to, that's actually a great place for us to start. Let's start with this question from James Bouchel. So now that the show and books are close to the same place, will Sean be reading all of the books now? Because from this point, for the most part, we are all unsullied, unless George gets the Winds of Winter out before season six, of course. Well, before letting you answer that question, Sean, I will, I will respond to the possibility of the Winds of Winter being out before next season. I personally think it's less than 50-50 that it will be out. Uh, I'm usually pretty optimistic, so take that with a grain of salt. Basically, just this last weekend, George said that he had needed to write about 480, 450, maybe 500 more manuscript pages to have a completed book. Well, he has to do that within about six to seven months to have, because there needs to be about three months for the book to actually hit shelves. So eh, almost 500 manuscript pages in six months. That's, I don't know if that's, that's not very likely. It could, he could do it. He could do it, but I wouldn't get my hopes up, folks. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I could be wrong and I would love it if I was wrong, but I'm probably not wrong. <laughs> so, Sean, what do you think? You, how about reading the books? What's your plan? Do you have a? Do you think you're going to read as many of them as possible? Maybe just one or two. Kind of do it slowly. I know the kind of patterns and schedules of my life, and about a book a year is about what I get. And uh, and this is a long book too, right? So I I expect to to read book two, and I hope to get it done before the next season starts. <laughs> but I'm not going to have it like next <laughs> month or something. Maybe if I really uh, shift my schedule around and commit myself to it. I'm, I might get it done early, maybe even start book three, but I, I don't want anyone out there to expect me to suddenly read all the books before the next season. I just know <laughs> that's not in the schedule of my life. <laughs> okay, so let us keep moving here. That was a good question. We're not going to pick a whole lot of, we're not going to go location to location like we do other episodes. We're just going to jump around and pick this, pick the questions that have the most votes and just go where the questions take us. So no needing to, to categorize things by location. So Sean, you can jump in anytime with your own thoughts, especially if they relate to a question. But for now, let's go ahead and take another question from Helene May. If John, quote, comes back from being dead, is he released from his vows to the Night's Watch? Do you think that the Night's Watch would even accept a reanimated John? That's a very good question. It's kind of a technical question, isn't it? Like, well, I yeah. don't know. Does it release him from his vows? <laughs> uh, a couple thoughts on that. One is I feel like the uh, sort of a technical aspect, you might even know. I, I, I don't have the words of the vow memorized, but I, I, I have it in my mind that it possibly or probably would. The details of the vow, I, you know, I can imagine it says, you know, like a wedding or whatever said, Tell death to his part. Well, if he got killed and came back, well, death did his part. So now I don't have to, you know, I don't know if the vow works like that. But <clears throat> let's say that it does. There's still sort of like, and if then next, in general, maybe the wall would accept someone back if they died and were resurrected. But would they accept John specifically back? You know what I mean? They, <laughs> they kind of made from, their thoughts known about him. Yeah. <laughs> Although, again, they may rethink it if he came back from the dead. I don't know if that would make them... Um, maybe see some power in John or some rightness in him that they didn't see. Or maybe they'd be extra. He's a, they might think he's a zombie. It might be extra against him. Uh, I can imagine that going either way. But another question to ask is, would he want to go back to the wall or the watch? Uh, a, 
in general would he want to like would he see this as an opportunity to do something else with his new life or even if he had some still felt obliged to honor his vows even after dying coming back screw those guys they killed the mutineers like maybe you feel obliged to kill them all uh, my first act as reinstated lord commander is to hang all the people that stabbed me yeah <laughs> starting with ollie <laughs> stan is burning a little girl john was hanging a little boy <laughs> Well, it's good that we can have a sense of humor about these things, which is a good segue to this next question. I'm curious how Sean finds the tone of the series after this season. The show has been pretty brutal with some fan-favorite characters without any of the foreshadowing the books have. Does it feel really depressing, or is, it, or is he excited to see how it ends? I did have the thought that this season was sort of like the Empire Strikes Back of Game <laughs> of Thrones. Like, at the end, you're like, Luke's hand is chopped off, and Han's gone, and, you know... It seems like everyone is kind of like, even characters, even sort of villainous characters like Cersei were still at the point of like, geez, you have to do all that, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> That said, I do know that a lot of people have different, different tastes, different personalities, maybe even different defense mechanisms, because I have a few friends that watch this show and are entertained, humorously entertained by Ramsey. You know, they think of him, <laughs> they, they think of him as like almost... A cartoon character. It's so funny how over-the-top evil he is that they find humor in it. And and even in Roos. And that they are almost like laughing at what he's doing to Sansa. Just it's to them it's it's like uh, funny. Let's it's they're they're I, I they're imagining the writers trying to decide, ooh, what's the evilest thing we can do? You know? Uh, <laughs> I, I suppose rather than trying to be serious or trying to be artistic, they think of it as being trying to be over the top, which I could see that. I could see how a person might find that entertaining or funny. Some people have morbid senses of humor, or maybe it's a defense mechanism against what would be more disturbing. You find a way to laugh at it. Um, generally speaking, though, I take it pretty serious and feel like it's pretty dark. There's several times I'm sitting there like, Man, this is awful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, a, a lot to the point. A lot of times when I also am trying to separate whether I feel it's awful what the character is doing, or awful what kind of person would write this, or it's awful what this means for the direction of the show. Um, I, I definitely am sort of like disturbed and disappointed by how things have gone with Stannis. Obviously, I still like the show. There, there are certain things that they've done poorly, and I would, say, I think it's fair to say the show's gone downhill since the first season. But going from a ten to a seven doesn't make the show bad. Doesn't make me not stop watching it. Assuming it was ten in the first place or seven now, it's really hard to rate a show something like this that has so many different plot lines and characters and themes and facets. There could be a certain element that's just awful or you don't care anything about. But there's other, you know there's one really bad thing happening and 10 really awesome things that are happening. How bad does that one thing have to be to make the other 10 not worth it? You know, right, say one right. really bad thing is happening and only four other good things are happening. I, you know, I don't know how to rate it quite, but at this point I'm obviously engrossed in it, invested in it, loving the show, happy that it's seen success, getting me to read the books, trying to tell my friends, I might even start doing a podcast on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait. Uh, <laughs> so I need to correct something I said earlier. I said that we would be playing around with Game of Thrones Risk. Well, that's uh, a little later. Uh, I, I'm, I should have said Game of Thrones Monopoly. That's the one that we're going to be getting soon. Game of Thrones Risk is another month away. So we'll actually be showing them both. But Game of Thrones Monopoly is first. So anyway. <laughs> 
Small correction there. So as far as myself answering this question about the depression level of the show, I, I, I think that, I don't know that it's darker than the books, although it is less, it is more about, there's more shocking things in the show, things that kind of come more out of nowhere. I think that there is more setup for some of the similar events in the books, and that plays a huge role in determining you know, how you judge it and the feel for it. But on the other hand, one thing about the show that makes it seem gloomier to me is the acting performances. You know, George is a great writer, but there's something to be said for, you know, looking at people's faces and how humans are social creatures. And if you, if you see the reaction on someone's face and how they're behaving in their facial, you know, movements, that's, that really touches deep into a human subconscious. There's nothing, you know, that's a really, really, a uh, hard thing to not react to. It's it's something that's really hardwired into us. Even even monkeys in captivity have learned to react to the video screen of another monkey and its its facial reactions. You know, just like they understand what distress looks like. It's it's an it's a universal emotion. You know, like the word for sorry is expressed very differently in a lot of languages. And I I suppose there isn't a sorry in Dothraki, <laughs> but Facial expressions do not change from culture to culture. You know, the, the, the disgust is, the look of disgust is the same from culture to culture throughout every culture in, in, in the world. The look of happiness, joy, those things, are, those things are the same. And so I think it's something we all can key into when someone like, when Sansa or Theon, well, <laughs> Sophie Turner or Alfie Allen, duh, you know, has an, a really terrified look on their face. It's hard for us not to feel a little terrified ourselves too even if we know deep down and consciously that what we're watching is actors so yeah. that's pretty interesting and then the same thing when you're reading a book you know it's a book but if it's a well-written book it's immersive and you feel like it's kind of real and that's that's a good job when they when they make you feel like it's kind of real when you feel tied into the characters when you when you're concerned with their fates and when things that happen to them feel real to you that means the author's doing a good job or the showrunners are doing a good job. Or it means you have a really creative imagination or both. So, yeah, so I think it's pretty interesting how the tone has definitely shifted. It does seem kind of dark. It's definitely the, dar- the darkest note a season has ended on, I think, having John leaving it like that. I think m- more of the other endings of the season were more uplifting, I think, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Anyway, <laughs> Even ones that were dark, they it might have been a dark moment, but it was either not quite as tragic or it was dark for someone else. Like Tyrion killing Tywin, I feel that was, you know, a, a, a central character who's been around for a while, being killed by his own son, Shay, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't bright, but it wasn't Tyrion dying. <laughs> You know right, what I mean? Yeah. It was characters who on some level themselves were villainous. Even if maybe you appreciate their characters in a show, they at least on some level were villainous and dying. And this meant trouble for a more protagonistic character, but they weren't dead. They, there was some plan, some out, some triumph for them or whatever. Whereas this was definitely... Uh, you know, And it started a couple episodes back. You know, it was yeah. like... You know, loss and devastation and, and and challenge not being met, you know, one after another for a couple of three episodes. Well, more than a couple of three episodes. Go <laughs> being killed and so on. Yeah, there was there was a lot of major deaths this season and it was 
yeah, I think that's. I think we're going to see more of that as the show, you know, winds itself down towards the conclusion. Two seasons from now, I think we'll have a lot more moments like that where there's a lot of tragic deaths and there may be more major outcries depending on who some of these deaths are. I did some research on IMDb for fun and for this episode to get an idea of the ratings for this season as well as last season. Now, a caveat for these numbers, typically hype and excitement drives ratings up initially and then they kind of level off a little bit. So some of these things might drop. But the early season ratings for the, the, the episodes one through five had, I think, the highest average for the first five episodes that I've seen. Certainly, the highest rated season appears to be season four. So this season lagged behind a little bit in terms of ratings, which, of course, doesn't necessarily correlate to how the fans in general felt about it, as well as critics. But the highest rated episode of the season was episode eight, Hard Home, with a 9.9 on IMDb, which is huge. And it doesn't show any sign of dropping, which puts it at the highest rated Game of Thrones episode of all time, behind or ahead of Reigns of Castamere and The Lion and the Rose, which is the Red Wedding and the Purple Wedding, so to speak, you know, which are their nicknames, of course. Season four had half of all the, or almost half of all the 9.0 or higher rated episodes were in season four. Which season? Season four. That's my favorite season, by the way. Okay. Well, season one, I think, is my favorite. It's it's hard to say, and it's a little unfair too, because as season progresses, as seasons progress, you have the building of characters from prior seasons to go with. But uh, that's true. I assume this. I'm going to go ahead and talk about it because I feel like this is the thing we should cover. Yeah. And recap. My, my I think that my favorite seasons go season one, and I think that's just because it got me into it, established the characters in the world, and and it had it. It also kind of like made me realize, you know, when Ned Stark. I could say this isn't spoiler, right? Everyone at this point should have seen season one. When that star got killed, that was like a big... I was like, whoa, this is serious. This is not just like... Uh, this is not another typical show. This is not just for... I don't want to say just for entertainment. Like, that's necessarily bad. But what I mean is that this is a deeper level of entertainment. That you would spend a whole season developing a central protagonistic character and kill them off. I don't want to say unceremoniously, but uh, I can't think of quite the right word, but... He was killed off randomly by a boy. At least it was like, not a heroic death. Right. Yeah. If, if it had been in battle, or even if like Littlefinger had poisoned him, that might not have been honorable. But at least Littlefinger's like this master conniver, and he found a way to get that start. <laughs> but there's just some punk kid on a whim, you know? Yeah, like he's like, just, ah, we're gonna execute him. Yeah, I'm all uh, set to trade him for hostages and do the right thing. And nope, kill him. <laughs> so it was like moving. I think that a lot about film in general and it and it's it's weird i have a hard time expressing this because it makes it seem like i want people to die or i like dark things and i don't maybe that is true i don't know but i, I don't <laughs> think that's true per se what is true though is it when a show or a book or a movie or whatever kills a main character someone you think of as a good guy it makes you actually be afraid for the other characters it, you take it more seriously. Most movies, there's no chance when you're watching Spider-Man and in 30 minutes in he's fighting some bank robber or whatever, this Spider-Man's going to get killed and die. There's no, it, it's, you're not really worried for Spider-Man. Uh, That's true. And it was, I thought it was a big move in Dark Knight Returns, whatever one with Heath Ledger played the Joker, you know, and... Uh, maybe I, I shouldn't spoil Batman. I assume everyone's seen that also. <laughs> but typically, the, the superhero, because you know they're not going to die... 
what the writers do is they make them choose between, you know, Superman has to choose Lois Lane or the people of Chicago or something like that, you know, and you just can't do both. And so Superman flies around Earth and makes time go back, you know, like as much as I love that movie, <laughs> it was such a lame way to handle it. Spider-Man gets to save, what's her name, Mary Jane and the, the, the trolley or whatever. They just do both, you know, but Batman couldn't do both. And you're like, whoa, this is serious. This is real. I'm actually worried now, you know, the Joker becomes a real villain. So I kind of felt like that at that, not that the show wasn't already good and other characters had also died, but when Ned Stark got killed, that was a wake-up call to how serious and how good the show was. And it also made me start thinking, I've said this before, kind of like, it almost seemed inevitable. Once it happened and you think back, it almost, you almost feel like you could have seen that coming. You know what I mean? Did you think that Ned from the North with all his honor was going to go down in this beehive of corruption and politicking and just everything would be okay? You know, like <laughs> Cersei warned him, you played the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Like, I feel like all the illusion and hints and foreshadowing and, and even just the sense of it, if you think of it like a chess game, all these pieces move a certain way. Ned acts like this. Cersei acts like this. You look at a chessboard, if you're good enough, your mind can kind of predict forward a few turns you kind of see what's going to happen and i started to look at the show that way this is a big tangent here point is i like (laughs) season one best (laughs) i like season one best season two we restart with a lot of new characters and in fact i do like characters being built up but there's characters we've already gotten attached to that i want to see where they're going with that and we got a little less of that for the second new characters by season three we're more attached to these new characters and i appreciate that but now we have, like, all this torture stuff going on with Theon. And I just wasn't, I just didn't really appreciate that. And I can imagine, I feel like I was particularly studying the show. I was trying to figure things out, understand stuff. I was really becoming a fan of it. And watching episodes, days before I was even doing the podcast, I was taking notes on stuff, you know. And I kind of pieced together what was happening, that that was, uh, that was Roos's son, torturing Theon. I was able to kind of figure out that's what was happening there. But I feel like the average viewer must have just been totally bewildered, totally <laughs> in the dark about why are we just watching these gruesome torture scenes? What is happening? <laughs> this And it went on and on, like every episode, five or ten minutes for this whole season. Yeah. <clears throat> and even me, kind of like intrigued by it and, and maybe even a little point of pride, ooh, I figured out what this is. I still didn't want to see it, you know? <laughs> it was a big d- d- down, uh, you know, it knocks level season down Season three down a notch for me. Yeah, I agree. In fact, season three appears to be possibly the lowest rated season. It, I didn't do averaging for them, but it did. It had some lower rated episodes. In fact, it had there were five episodes in the history of Game of Thrones out of fifty episodes. There's only been like I said, there's twelve episodes that rated nine point zero or higher. There's only five that rated below eight point zero. Three of them were in season three. Yeah. So that that certainly is an impact. And a little uh, another fun stat there. Of all those 12 9.0 or higher episodes, 7 of them are episodes 8, 9 or 10. Yeah, yeah. And all Which, episode 9s, all 5 episode 9s are 9.0 or higher. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that that kind of feeds into the other point I was going to make about season 4. Why I think season 4 is my favorite is cuz now you have all these different characters that have come up through multiple seasons. They're all kind of in play in season four. And then we have several big moments, you know. Uh, Plus a with, couple of new in, in characters like Ober and Martell, who was like yeah, a true, huge true. hit right away. Yeah, it's new, good new characters still being introduced, 
being mixed in with characters that we've had developed for a long time. Yeah. And then big moments happening with them, then being killed off and reminding you, hey, this is serious. Hey, you know, don't get too attached to someone. It make making you care more about it, more worried, more emotional. Without like what for me of a, a taint on it, like season three had. And I'm going to say season five also had a taint because there's lots of great stuff about season five, but I just feel like Dorne is the taint of season five. I was, uh, I feel like it's the most disappointing aspect. And seems widely agreed. <laughs> and I imagine a lot of times things that people like or don't like are going to be connected to their expectations from the books, which I don't happen to have. And I still was disappointed by Dorne. I still felt like it was. Well, missing yeah, hollow, empty, superficial, panned bad, over. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I could attach mm. all kinds of negative attributes to it. And it's sometimes it sometimes bad stuff that happens, I find ways in my mind to justify it. Especially action. Like, ah, uh, I don't really care about the action in the first place. All the shows and movies always do bad action, so this isn't really special that they're doing a poor job with it. I could see how the action could have played out a little bit differently. Like, I feel like the action in with Danny was sometimes kind of weak. But I can still see, within this action scene, what needed to happen. I can reimagine it in a different way so that the plot points still get hit. The characters still develop probably. That said, though, sometimes it bothers me extra when I, just this guy at home watching a show... Maybe I'm just being arrogant, but I feel like I could have done a better job. <laughs> they have, who knows how many million dollars of a budget, how many script doctors and writers and editors and directors and creative minds, actors themselves, so many people that should be getting this right. And when I feel like I can sit at home and be like, why didn't they just have, you know, Alaria meet with each sand snake differently for us to learn about their opinions and get their characters and their names down rather than like lump them all together superficially? And then people tell me, yeah, it's kind of how it was in a book. I'm like, dude, why did they put... <laughs> I, can, I was already kind of frustrated that. I can so imagine how frustrated people who had certain expectations from the books are, <laughs> are feeling about it. And So I, kind of like the torture scenes with Theon, I think this season has that taint to it. But it doesn't mean that it was a bad season or I didn't like it. It just had a negative part. I like to make analogies. I've made this one before. If every day someone came up to you and gave you $20, say, hey, Sean, you give me $20. And just gave me $20 every day. And then one day they only gave me $10. Like, what the hell? If they took $5 <laughs> from me one day, I'm like, well, you've been giving me $10 every day. It's okay. You know, like, yeah, I'll yeah, let you yeah. go on this one. <laughs> I'm not going to stop being your friend or whatever. Uh, <laughs> so another, and a couple other IMDb stats for fun. The, the lowest rated episode of the season Good time to point this out is the also tied for the lowest rated episode of all time, tied with season two, episode two, entitled The Nightlands. Unbowed, unbent, unbroken was the lowest rated episode of the season at 7.8, tied it, which is a tie with The Nightlands for the lowest rated episode of the 50 so far. So uh, that certainly tells you something. The, the, Dislike of Dorne and the Dornish plot lines was very widespread. Pretty much any time I read any commentary anywhere on the show, that was top of people's bottom or bottom of people's top. <laughs> <laughs> thing they liked least or the thing they most wanted to complain about. And I don't disagree. I wonder if the showrunners, the writers and directors, how... I wonder if they just kind of just keep them remove, keep themselves removed from social media, or if they're like digging in it. Please give us feedback. Uh, I imagine that once at the point we're doing reviews, they've already it's already filmed. They can't like redo the door and stuff. Yeah, you what know? are they gonna do? Yeah. But <laughs> but I still wonder if they, if they're like, all right, all right, we messed up with dorms. Let's move on. <laughs> I wonder how they. I wonder if they it's up late at night feeling bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's take another question. 
we have from Andrew Wolf. What do you? What role do you expect Bran and Mira and Hodor to play in the upcoming season? Also, Hodor. <laughs> well, good question. Of course, we we know that they weren't in the season at all, and that involves. You know, that means there's something's got to be happening. We expect Bran to be learning some mysteries. Uh, but Mira and Hodor, it's a tougher question. What do you think about, I guess Hodor is just going to stick around with Bran and, you know, continue carrying him around, I suppose. Mira, perhaps, is a bit more of a quandary. She's just in the cave with Bran while he learns these secrets and stuff. Uh, it's kind of hard to see what she's doing right now. I will say that I have thought from like a filmmaking perspective of how they're going to manage Bran and Hodor. I feel like he's just going to be too big. Even Hodor's a big guy, but it's still Bran's. I feel like he's going to be really awkward. <laughs> Hodor coming Bran around. <laughs> he's a to little. The, he's 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 hit that growth spurt. Yeah. yeah to the point, I've wondered if they could or should recast him. I I I don't know. I don't know about that, but. I, I, w- I would be okay with it. I don't know what the showrunners feel, what kind of contracts they have with the actor, what our audience out there feels. Uh, but me personally, I almost wonder if that's why they just left him out for a season to, so they could reintroduce another actor and it wouldn't be as sudden a shocking change. I've heard nothing about recasting him, but it is possible. But mm-hmm. I, I do not think it's going to happen. I suppose like if I remove myself from thinking about how things are going to come across in film, what should happen with the story... I can imagine Hodor just keeps carrying Bran around, but I can also imagine Bran just gets grown up into that tree and tangled up in vines and just his mind travels the world through ravens or something and he isn't necessarily like hunching around on Hodor's back so that Hodor can like fight people with a sword or something. It seems like (laughs) his destiny is something bigger than what human beings physical bodies can be doing you he's know? You know, nowhere near any human settlement anyway like what's yeah what's he gonna do march south a bunch of ways to just to get back involved yeah that doesn't you're, you're right it doesn't it just seems like he's far detached from humanity in terms of location and good chance it stays that way maybe his mind is transported into a dragon you know or a wolf it is it is interesting to think how what what will happen like uh i because let's say i'm right and he is just going to be have a, a sort of supernatural presence in the world that isn't like his physical body walking around on Hodor's back through the woods of the north to the wall and zombies are... I just can't see how that plays out. But I still, once again, how would it play out if he is just like <laughs> mentally traveling? Like how do they... Flashbacks. Yeah, uh, I mean they could do. There's uh, one thing that we're sure is going to happen next season based on some casting. I won't. I won't be specific, but there's going to be more flashbacks, and based on who some of the characters are, they ha- it has to be flashbacks because there's characters that apparently are being cast that aren't in the current timeline. So it has to be a flashback, and based on who could be around who have witnessed these things, it has to be Brand seeing them. So. That is at least one thing we're going to see. There's obviously more things that can come from this plot line and will come from this plot line, but that's one thing we can be pretty sure of is that, that Bran will be a device to show us things that happened in the past that in the books happened through memories and people's internal monologues, things that don't translate very well to TV. So Bran's Weirwood networking kind of saves the showrunner's bacon, so to speak, by giving them a way to deliver this without having it be like weird fever dreams yeah. and stuff like that. And and that would have involved doing things 
way in advance of them happening. Like, as, as you know, someone who's read the first book, there's certain things in the first book, certain clues to one of the major mysteries of the series that really had, didn't get touched on in the show until this season. And I think they're going to de- go deeper into that next season. So without being spoiler, I think anyone who I think I think anyone who knows what I'm talking about knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and if not, well, you didn't you didn't want to be spoiled there. So. You're talking about who Hodor's mom is. Yes. Yeah. Right? Of course. <laughs> yes. Hodor, because Hodor is the real prince that was promised, the real Azor Ahai, the real last hero, the real <laughs> stallion who mounts the world, as well as the real god of Planetos. You're joking, but right now. George Martin's watching this. He's like, how does this read my mind? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sorry, sp- folks. Biggest spoiler of all time. <laughs> Other than the thing about Janice Slint. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take another question here. Here's a, nice, here's a nice simple question from James Bouchel. At this point in the series, who are your guys' favorite and least favorite characters on the show? This question might be a little easier for you than it is for me, because I have to think show only, and I make uh, I gotta divorce myself from my book opinions. But so you go ahead while I think about it. Uh, you should know me better. This isn't easy for me, <laughs> <laughs> you guys. If you have no idea the Excel files that I have trying to figure out my favorite movie, the processes I go through trying to narrow down favorites. Sean has spent. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know what FlickChart is, FlickChart is, is is a movie rating system where you tell it it, it shows you two movies. And you pick which one you like better. And you can keep sitting there while, and, and it continuously ranks your movies based on which ones you picked. And you can just keep, and Sean has spent hours on flick chart. I don't chart. think about how long. <laughs> yeah. Some people are like, you know how many hours I've lost to playing, I don't know. I personally haven't played World of Warcraft. But I know like a lot of people have said, oh, I've, I've lost like a whole year of my life to World of Warcraft. You may have lost a whole year of your life to flick maybe chart. Maybe not a year, but Probably a month a year. for sure. <laughs> maybe, a year is a little extreme. Maybe yeah. 11 months. So, well, maybe with that, okay, so maybe what's more appropriate then is a top three or top five in yeah. no particular order. Because an actual favorite, yeah, I couldn't do that either. I, 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 will, I could maybe say Tyrion. I'll also say this. One thing I've, this this flick chart, another process is of me trying to, like, rank things and think about my favorites is it, what I, one thing I've, it's got me to think a lot about how or why you pick a favorite. And a lot of times, especially more superficial or casual fans, and I don't mean that to sound too negative because I'm a superficial, casual fan of a lot of things. A lot of times when you like first see a movie, you have emotional reactions. Yes. Um, but when you start to study it, when you watch it again, when you think about it, you talk to other people, you when you decide to put effort into it, for better or worse, you you need a reason. You know, you why did I use, analyze yourself? Why did I have that emotional reaction? Why did I have the emotional reaction for this character and not this one or that event or that movie and not this one? Why was it so strong? Am I properly analyzing my own emotional reactions? You know, uh... Your emotional reactions change sometimes when you get deeper into it or think longer about it. So, point is, <laughs> uh, right now, it's harder for me to pick a favorite character because a lot of people, for a bunch of reasons, but a lot of people who would have picked my favorites are dead. <laughs> um, but another thought is that a lot of times what your favorite is is what's being presented to you more. Does that make sense? There are certain characters that are on screen every single episode. We get deep into them. We know their background and their motivations, their dreams and their emotions, and we relate to them because we're becoming so familiar with them. And so they are become our favorites. But I try to distinguish between someone who is my favorite because they're being presented to me to be my favorite, like Danny, Tyrion, John, you know, versus <laughs> someone who's 
more in the background, and I have to kind of decide to like them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. May, I don't know, Braun or Brienne, and they've become featured a lot more recently, too. Maybe Podrick even is a good example. So when it's more in the background, you kind of have to choose for them to be your favorite. They aren't being thrown out there as a central character in the first place. I've noticed, because I've been in the, in the fandom for so long, a lot of times people divide it into, like... Who's your favorite main character? And who's your favorite yeah. secondary character? Of course, that and that sparked a whole new debate on who a secondary character is versus tertiary character versus primary character. There's definitely some some gray areas there. Like Brienne is Brienne a primary character or is she a secondary character? I think she's secondary. I think so too, but I can but see I can the see argument. But I can see the argument, right? Right, right. and I, especially depending on what point you're talking about, because there's a one point where she's clearly tertiary at best, but maybe central, maybe primary now. Yeah, like she doesn't even exist at all in season one, so mm. she's clearly not. But and then in season two, she's sort of secondary but she starts to become more primary and yeah so it's kind of like yeah it's i can i never argue too much about that because i can see other people's points for the most part on those on those i imagine topics. in the books you it might be an easier delineation to say perspective character with a perspective or not yeah that's a good but that might even become tough as characters new characters start to have perspectives that we had opinions of before and our opinions change when you know what's in their mind and there's also major characters that are not pov like Varys, yeah. littlefinger because they know too much you can't like go inside their head that would just be too revealing you know or, to like, present them like that but it still is going to keep you from have an effect on your ability to choose them as a main character yes, how yes. Sim- featured they are in a book uh it also depends on which books because for example, well, I don't want to be spoilery, but there's, you know, there's certain books where certain characters are more present than, than others. You know, like Just like Bran wasn't in the season at all, uh, some characters don't appear in certain books. Ned's not in season two at all. <laughs> <laughs> Good example. <laughs> okay, so I guess if I had to answer my favorite main character, I'll, I'll just go with the simple, easy answer and say Tyrion, because... First of all, he's they've they carried over his humor really well. They've made him more central in the show than he is in the books, although he is certainly one of the most central in the books as well. And on top of that, Peter Dinklage is great. If I were to judge it season to season, it might be different, because maybe Tyrion wouldn't be my top pick for this season. But for the show as a whole, I'd have to go with Tyrion. For secondary characters, oof, I'm not sure. I, I kinda wanna say I kinda wanna say Braun, but I kinda also want to say no I'll, st- I'll stick with Braun. i won't get too complicated <laughs> if i just have to pick one i would think i would say Braun. another point i want to make about picking favorite characters this is something else we've also touched on before sometimes they're your favorite character because you like who they are you you like you relate to their personality or their plight you yeah. uh, you know it's maybe they're charismatic you know or whatever um, but that kind of leads you to the other thing there's some characters who maybe are charismatic but they're not good people and yeah. that even characters who aren't good people, charismatic or not, they're good for the show. They create again Joffrey. trouble. They, example, yeah, they yeah. create dilemmas that make it interesting. The show wouldn't be interesting if there were no bad guys. You know what I mean? Uh, the, Ned would just sit around talking to Robert about the old days. <laughs> no one would have got killed. You know, everything would be fine. There's this thing so, about the old days. They're the old days. <laughs> <laughs> the good days the old days are always the good old days yeah <laughs> but uh, so sometimes it, you know you might might like a favorite character might choose a character's favorite because of drama that they stir up you know but uh Braun is definitely one uh, and I to, leading up to this season I think that the there are three characters that I kind of like kind of waffle between I liked all three of Sandor who's dead now 
Uh, <laughs> Braun, who I still will list as one of my favorites. But, Somehow survived the yeah. season. <laughs> uh, and Sansa. Although, I, on some level, I don't necessarily want to say I like Sansa less, but she's... Storylines are revolving around her, at least as much as ever, but she isn't really doing anything, if that makes sense. Which is a little extra disappointing, because at the beginning of the season, they were kind of setting her up. Littlefinger's like, oh, you've learned well, my young Padawan, you know what I mean? She was like asking poignant questions, she's being thrust into this dangerous situation, and pretty much she just has been a prisoner with two lines per episode. And we haven't seen her do as I mean, Ennis has sort of been her character all along, but I feel like somehow in the past, I feel like when she was kind of under Cersei or Joffrey's thumb, she still was kind of fighting for herself in her own way. And she had moments to shine, uh, like like she did during the Battle of Blackwater. She, like, really c- took over when Cersei was kind of, like, get, had given up. And she really, yeah. that was kind of my first moment where I really thought Sansa or Sophie Turner turned it around as an actress, too, because she's really good. But I personally wasn't that into her initially, but I now I'm a huge fan. But I thought there would be moments like that with her arc, where the, and the yeah. pearly, in, with in, and, at Winterfell, and I thought it would be awful. I thought Ramsay would be you know terrible the things that happened to her. But I also thought she'd do some things more yeah. than just escape and more than just tease Ramsay about his. Yeah, his we bastardy. got some bits. We got her like stand up to Miranda. You know what I mean? We yeah. saw her pick up the little sharp device or whatever. We saw her kind of poke Ramsay at dinner about you know. Well, you know, what if he has a son, you know? And I thought this was building up to her, you know, making some... And maybe this is her move. Maybe escaping out. Maybe I'm being too negative. I don't want to say that I don't even like her, but... Because uh, I'm kind of recognizing that Bronn isn't standing out as much to me either. But maybe it's just because he's mixed up in all this stuff in Dorm, which generally speaking, I feel is... I think he's the best part of it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, he's really, uh, he's really uncomplicated. He's positive. He's a good fighter. And he's just he's charismatic, I think, and he, he's unco- I think the thing that he's uncomplicated, I think, is really big because he doesn't he doesn't get involved in politics, which means it's easy to not take him into consideration when because so much of Game of Thrones is is thinking about which house is in the right, which house deserves to be on the throne, which houses have behaved the best, and Bronn isn't part of any of these houses. He's not really involved in that conversation, so it's almost like he's less scrutinized because he's not involved in politics. Yeah, and the poli- yeah. and he hasn't he's. He's done, you know, he's a killer. He, he, he's, he would kill for money. So we know he's kind of, you know, in that sense, he's kind of scummy. But, Just like the Faceless Men. But that doesn't feel so, yeah, that doesn't feel so bad in Game of Thrones world. Like, people killing each other, just, you know, like, in, in a real world, that's awful. But, like, as far as Game of Thrones goes, that's kind of, mi- that's kind of minor league stuff. You know, just <laughs> killing people. It's like, the bad stuff is, like, torture and, you know, like, real suffering. Like, if you just get a quick death, you're like, yeah, you got off easy. This is Westeros. What was the, <laughs> was it a South Park or a... What was the show? I think it was South Park, kind of crossover Bart Simpson. Do you remember that? I think it was the one with the the whales, the beluga whales or whatever. Do you remember this? It was the Freedom of Speech episode of South Park. I remember, you know, it was a two-part episode. And because uh, Family Guy was going to show the image of Muhammad. Oh, remember that? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. They, they, they went to the Cartoon Network headquarters to try to stop it. And Bart Simpson's there. And Bart Simpson's like, you know, one time I did this thing to my sister. And Karma's <laughs> like, I fed this kid's parents to himself. <laughs> <laughs> Bart Simpson's, oh. <laughs> You're like, okay, you win. <laughs> I killed someone. I killed a hundred people with a flood in our own house. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's take another question here. How about 
another question from High Level from James Farley. We have, what are your thoughts on the pacing of this season? Something we sort of touched on earlier. I've heard people call the season slow, while others say the story seemed rushed. Could it be both? Which stories do you think could have benefited from more tension, which could have been cut down? Well, I think we could say safely that the Dorn, since Dorn wasn't very good, I, I hate to keep harping on it, I hate to be kind of repetitive on that, that could have been cut down because it wasn't good, but really, that's, that's not really fair to say. It seems like if, if it had been done right, the amount of attention paid to it is about, about right. It wasn't that there was too much attention paid to it, it was just that it wasn't done very well. What do you think? Do you think there were any, any plot lines that were too much time was spent on? I, I, I personally am very on the side of it feeling rushed. I could see someone might call it slow because they might be thinking more about the amount of action that happens. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true. There might have been, this season might have had a little bit more <clears throat> setup and dialogue and conversation, if you will, a less climactic moment. But I feel like by the end, boom, 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 climactic moment after another. I think the most rushed thing to me was Stannis' turnaround. I think we needed to see them suffering out in the cold and hunger a little bit longer to, to buy into him burning his own daughter there. But, yeah. I feel like that, which, which might not make for good TV. It might have been like just a bunch of boring, terrible, dark, depressing scenes of people slowly starving and freezing to death. But I think I need that to to swallow him burning his own daughter a lot. Yeah, I know? need we we need more people starving and freezing to death for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love shows of people starving and freezing to death. <laughs> yeah, really. They should have been. They should have turned to cannibalism. I mean, come on, that's what we wanted to see. Cannibalism is good TV. No, but seriously, I, I I think since I think it was so many plot lines felt rushed, I don't see where they could have cut down from much other than just trading out things that didn't work for for other things, which isn't really a fair comparison. So, but the but I, I almost and I think I agree with you that that's the plot line that needed the most additional attention, and for me, it was the most surprising that it ended so quickly. I, I expected Stannis to still be a part of the TV show next season, so that was also a surprise for me. So I'm not sure how much of that is me feeling like it was rushed, and how much of it was surprise and a little disappointing. Not because not just because I was disappointed in how what happened, but I was my expectations for Stannis's arc were cut a little short. And uh, his, so that it's hard to de- detach the two th- emotions from each other. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't know which which is more in play there for me. Whether I'm more disappointed at what I wanted to happen with Stannis, or because it was rushed, or if it's a combination. It's definitely a combination of both, but it's hard to weigh which isn't which matters to me more. They both matter quite a bit. I feel like the show really easily could just have twelve episodes per season. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I agree. Th- just even if some of it was, I'm going to say this. I hate, I hate. I don't want to say it this way, but some of it could have been "quote unquote" filler. But when what filler could be, if it's done well, is development of characters. And a lot of these characters get such great dialogue and have such great personalities. I would like to see more interaction between Jamie and Braun. I would like, and maybe it's not worth it for that. But they certainly could add like two episodes per two minutes per episode. That's like a whole nother scene. Like two more minutes on episodes. Two, three, four is a whole scene with Alaria and Obara, with Doran and uh, Tyene, and with Bronn, and well, you know what I mean. You yeah. get a whole other scene with each of those sand snakes, and causes us to care more about them all of a sudden. And uh, I, I'm going to say it was rushed. Derek's <laughs> <laughs> in a question from James Farley. What are your opinions on Davos this season? He didn't seem to do much this year besides give off 
ignored advice. Now that Stannis and Shireen are gone, do you think we'll see more from him, or is his purpose, as far as the show is concerned, over? Good question. Davos is kind of now a man without a king. He was super dedicated to Stannis, and now there's nothing. There's not even a Baratheon cause to follow, really, unless Gendry comes around. But how would Gendry be legitimized? Who's going to legitimize Gendry? I guess it's possible, but I, right now I don't see how that could ha- how that could happen. So I don't know. What da- like certainly the suggestion that he might join the Watch is possible, but I also feel like the Watch is going to immediately be thrown into turmoil because I think the Wildlings are going to have something to say about Jon's stabbing, and it won't be something pleasant. I expect it might be quite violent. It might the the Night's Watch may have shot itself in the foot. Davos might get caught up in that somehow. I don't suppose the Wildlings have a bone to pick with him but they might stannis's army smash them you know they yeah. might they might some people might have a, a blood debt with davos if they're if they're you know enough people know who he is and, and what role he played what do you think i wonder i think it's going to come down in a few things one i'm still i'm still uncertain whether or not stannis is alive or dead but let's just assume he's dead how long before davos finds that out like at this moment davos is just doing what he was doing before he, at this moment, he doesn't know that Stannis is dead. And so he, I, what I sort of expected was for him to try to rally the Wildlings to go help fight at Winterfell. That's what I sort of expect his current plan to be. But we haven't even, he doesn't even know that Jon is dead and Jon's right there at Winterfell. You know, at the moment the <laughs> <Yeah>. season <laughs> ended, he doesn't even know Jon is dead, much less Stannis. And so there's a lot to think about where he'll go when he finds out Jon is dead. Does that affect his plan? It may, because if he wants to go to the Wildlands and get them to come help, and the Wildlands are like, what? We can't trust you. You just killed the guy, the only guy we could trust. So <laughs> yeah. that doesn't mean they necessarily kill him right away. Would, you know, Stannis told Davos, don't come back empty-handed. Does he follow that instruction? If he can't get anyone from the Night's Watch to come, he can't get into the Wildlands to come, <laughs> he just stay there at the Watch, like, oh, I'll stay here. And then he gets word that Stannis is dead. He's like, oh, I'll stay in here anyway. You know, does he go back to dragonstone or like um yeah i'm not sure what he uh what commitment he has in his life what he'll feel honor bound to do what if if he would be recognized by anyone is there anyone out there who would who would say because in some cases i can imagine some house out there would be whoa you were hand to so-and-so come join my house i'll not you be my hand be on my be my master of whispers or my master of ships or whatever you know he could be someone's master of ships but they might not accept him. It's it was kind of unique for yeah for Stannis like to put him in that position in the first place. Look down so, on him because of his birth and I, his, his former profession <clears throat> as a smuggler. Yeah. As I'm thinking about it, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets tied up with Brienne in some way. Hmm. Um, um, that would I could be see them crossing Brienne, paths. So he would certainly Davos would certainly be mad at Brienne. Brienne would not wasn't going to take kindly to Stannis supporters. I wouldn't think, but it's possible they could be reconciled somehow. I never considered that possibility. They might not necessarily be reconciled. I remember I was like kind of hoping for this time when Gregor and Arya would meet up with Brienne and Podrick. And it finally happened, and it was terribly tragic. It could still happen that way. Brienne could kill Davos also. That's at least a possibility. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Uh, Sort of a related question from Dornish Dan. The Iron Bank had huge losses with Stannis, potential losses with the Iron Throne. Plus, banks hate uncertainty, and the situation in King's Landing and the realm is nothing but uncertain. How will the Iron 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 Bank flex its muscle to recoup its losses? Well, right now, you're right. It is hard for the Iron Bank to... I suspect they're kind of waiting right now. They they need to wait to see who is going to emerge as 
they've, they've obviously, by backing Stannis, they were prepared to, to overthrow the Lannister slash Baratheon coalition of Tommen and Cersei and Kevin and all them. Especially with, with Tywin gone now. But, yeah, I, I think they're going to have to wait for another candidate to emerge. Perhaps they'll end up backing Daenerys if she ever makes her way e- uh, west. But it is too chaotic. I don't think they're going to back anyone until they have someone that they can be sure of, or at least reasonably sure, will succeed. Because they are going to they are gonna not want to just throw money into the wind. Stannis was a good bet for them because Davos convinced them and he was right, but it just didn't work out. Uh, things that were kind of out of no one no one I'm sure the Iron Bank didn't expect Stannis to burn his own daughter they probably didn't uh, expect the weather to go like that they probably didn't expect a lot of things but that's part of the gamble of of war Uh, even Littlefinger was wrong about who was going to win in the north there so I think that they will have to wait and wait for someone to emerge as worthy of backing and that's the way they can recoup their investment right now the only candidate I can see in the show is Daenerys but they're not going to back her anytime soon because of where she's at you have any thoughts on that? You made me think of something just now. <clears throat> Littlefinger, part of his idea, it doesn't even matter who wins, they're going to weaken each other fighting. Roose is probably stronger than ever, especially if Yeah, he, it didn't look like he lost much in that engagement. Yeah. And, and, and even any losses he had might have come from again in the first place. Remember, we kind of speculated that the men who abandoned Some of them have been the, went yeah. to Roose. Mm-hmm. Roose might have just... Even losses from that battle might not have been his troops or a very small percent. Roos might be stronger than before. He's, his position is solidified. He's won this battle. Uh, there's less opposition. Status, that's, that's he's huge. defeated status. Yeah. It's a notch in his belt. There might be people who sway to him now. Anyone else who thought about attacking him might think twice now. He might actually literally have more troops than before if any of these mercenaries join up with him, even if for money. Roos doesn't seem like the kind of guy like, oh, I'm not going to hire troops with money. Roos like, yeah, give him money, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that that's something I hadn't really thought about before, but Roos is probably in a stronger position than ever before. It makes me wonder what's Littlefinger's next play now. Mm. If he was kind of banking on the North kind of falling apart and him swooping in to clean up the mess, that's not the scenario anymore. It's just, yeah, it's just, he, he yeah, it did not go his way at all, and it'll be interesting to see. He didn't appear at all the last few episodes, so we don't know what he's thinking or if he's going to be able to roll with the punches and still do what he was planning on doing. We know he's intent on Winterfell, and he still wants Sansa for himself, I would assume. But now she's got to worry about, you know, Sansa might be like, dude, you left me with these people. Yes, I know I have went ahead and accepted it, but I did not know it was up. And you're the one who's supposed to know these things. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know that she's going to be... She's already lost her trust for most people and this is just going to take that another step farther in terms of her inability to trust people and i would think that's smart because she doesn't need to be trusting Littlefinger. <laughs> this is another thing this is okay do you want to, what question are we looking at here no question a, at the moment so go okay ahead. so this is a thought that i had part of what i want to think about for the season recap was dangling ends like characters have been kind of left behind things that haven't been addressed some of them not in multiple seasons we don't know what's going on with the phrase. I, I've been maybe I just should give up, but I've been expecting some sort of comeuppance for Walter Frey. The Greyjoys, I feel like, are this player that's out there. The last we heard of them, they were they were a war. They were like a, a, one of the kings. You know what I mean? And, and everyone's like, uh, it's, generally speaking, they seem to be like, we'll deal with them later. And it wasn't like 
Greyjoy wasn't like Balon wanted to uh, take over the realm. He just wanted to not be subservient to right. the, to the Well, to the yeah, realm. he wanted to be able to raid the rest right. of the realm. <laughs> and that's sort of what Rob wanted, too. Rob North, did want yeah. a step beyond. Not He not only wanted independence, but he also wanted revenge against the king. But then yes. he wanted to go back home and da-da-da. Um, so, but Balon is still... You know, where is he on Cersei's list of priorities? On the High Sparrows, Tommen's list of priorities, Littlefinger's list. Does anyone care? Is that just it? The Seven Kingdoms just done for? I feel like no one's... Balon is so far out of anyone's thoughts. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and, it, and it, it makes sense that maybe they're not being followed in a show, but I still can't help but wonder if it's going to come into play, if we're not going to see anything. Is Theon ever going to try to go back home? Is his sister going to make a second attempt? Mm. Um, so the Blackfish character... He disappeared, (laughs) and Roos seemed worried about it. Walter Frey said, Ed, I'm not even worried about it. Roos was like, all right, fine. If you're not worried, I'm not worried. But I feel like... I feel like that was some sort of foreshadowing. They they gave us that scene. They gave us that moment for I feel like for a reason. Most things happen for a reason in a show. Is that gonna come back and how? We're gonna one of these days in season six, probably season six, maybe not till season seven, we'll see uh, previously on Game of Thrones and they'll they'll have that conversation. Either show us that conversation or they'll show Blackfish like I'm yeah. going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so of course Braun, we talked about Braun. We kind of, or Bran, you know, Stark yeah. in the North, not Bron, Bran, kind of expect him to come back for sure. But another group that I started thinking about is the Karstarks. Rob lops off the head of their house's head, and so their armies don't follow Rob anymore. Yep. So they go back home. Are they loyal to Roos? Would they be? Could they be? Uh, you know, that, that, that's like a force. It's just like a force that's out there that isn't being accounted for. Maybe it doesn't need to be. Maybe he's just gone. But it's just another group of people that I wonder if yeah. they'll come back into play, if there's some repercussion is going to come from that. Well, I, I won't spoil the, what happens in the books, but they are accounted for in the books, let's say that. And yes, they would, what you could, without saying too much, it makes sense that they would not be too happy with House Stark because of what Rob did. So they would, you would think they would either side with Bolton or Stannis up to that point, and then after, Stan, you know, assuming Stannis loses in the books also, then maybe they would change sides or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I won't, so I won't say what they do in the books, but they definitely are accounted for, and it's like you're saying. They're, you know, they have their own agenda based on how everyone else feels about them and how they feel about what's happened around them. A lot of the things, a lot of the questions about what's going to happen and what people are going to do is really dependent upon the travel of information. Really depends on when they find out what's going on with Cersei, when they find out that Stannis is dead. Like, lots of different characters' next actions depend a lot on what's going on with other people. Like, what Littlefinger is doing in King's Landing at this moment with the with Cersei in jail, whatever plan he starts to formulate based around that, how much does it change when he finds out that Stannis, is de- uh, that Stannis has been defeated? Add to that if or when or when or if he finds out that Sansa's escaped because you can imagine that's the type of thing they keep quiet maybe even here's the thing this is another thought all right they realize that Sansa's escaped they don't want word of that getting out they i assume do want word of Stannis being defeated getting out i'm just thinking about how they would want that it's been a factor (laughs) in the past like shoot down all the ravens you know what I mean? Like, there, there have been attempts by people to limit communication from a place that a key event has happened. 
I wonder how limited information will be coming out of Winterfell. Well, Roos wants Roos definitely wants everyone to know that he beat Stannis, like no question. Because as he said, you know, we can't hold the North by fear and terror alone. You know, we have to the mar- That's when he brought up the marriage and all that. But he's like Tywin and like Stannis in that no one loves him. People only people follow him because he's powerful, because he's authoritative, and because he's not a guy you want to mess with. He's, he's formidable. Yeah, he's formidable. Uh, so his reputation takes a big jump from knowing that he defeated someone else in that same category, someone else who was feared and respected and known to be a dangerous commander and successful. So this is huge for Roos' reputation. Any northern lords who may have had thoughts of rebelling because of what he did to the Starks, second thoughts now. They're going to have second thoughts. Of course, if they wanted to help out Stannis, they missed their chance. <laughs> Probably. It seems like it was a second thought in the first place because they already would have done it. Yeah, well, might have been made a second thought because Ramsay flayed a couple people for not paying their taxes. It might already, you know, <laughs> several reasons it seems like it's already a second thought. Let's Maybe just, not yeah. even a second thought now. And I will say that it is a bit more complex in the books. The political situation is a lot more... It, 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 that's one of the things that made this plot feel rushed is that the other northern houses didn't get involved in this. This was just Bolton and Stannis in the season. It didn't. There really wasn't much else from the other houses in the north. You're right to bring up Karstark. But in the, in, the, in the books, there's more. There's a lot of other examples of characters or, or houses, and they have they get involved in different ways, various and sundry. <laughs> so that's a good that's a good situation. Uh, the political situation in the north in the books is is really interesting. Although it also some people think it's a bit complicated and a bit confusing. <laughs> so take with that what you will. All right. So let's see another question. Here's a good question from our friend Geek Furious. What if the Boltons end up as the last remaining inviolable force to defend Westeros from the White Walker attack? How do you think the audience would feel about rooting for the family they perhaps now hate the most? Now, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, that's good. I like that question. That's really good. I did suggest something similar in a past episode about maybe Ramsay will turn out to be actually a really good leader against the White Walkers because he is at least brave, perhaps too brave, maybe fearless, you know, because he's kind of a sociopath well, clever too he's kind done of several soci- clever okay. things he's not kind of a sociopath yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's full-blown <laughs> yeah he has done clever things you're right the ambush thing the uh this, this the guerrilla warfare thing was was well done maybe too well done <laughs> well, he deceived theon when he like you know rescued him but then just brought him right back yeah was, yeah he's you hate to admit it but he is smart you know he's he's got rage problems but he is not a dummy so I think that would be amazing, and I think it's possible. I definitely don't think the Boltons are just going to roll up, be rolled over easily. I don't think they're just going to screw up and have everything collapse on them. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be around a little while. I don't know. I have no idea their end game. You know, I don't really. I haven't even wouldn't even guess at that. I don't think they'll be or necessarily be very powerful by the end, but maybe they will be. You know, their castle is really strong. If the White Walkers come south, they get past the wall. Who's going to have time to go get revenge on the Boltons if there's White Walkers in the, you know in the north? So they could get that could be who takes them down. <laughs> they could they could put up a good fight and go down just like some of the other northern houses might. Part of why I like that question is there's a couple things about that. That one is a lot of times this show gets you liking two different people or groups that are pitted against each other and yeah. you find yourself rooting for a thing that you don't want to happen you know and i appreciate that and additionally a thought that i've been having a lot lately is what how, how do i want it to end 
What if I got the right <laughs> ending? What if George is like, you know, Sean, I've been watching a podcast and I really like the way you see things. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to finish it. You go ahead. <laughs> I'm not sure what I would do. Like, because superficially, I feel like there's two two ways it could go, right? One is the good guys win. Like, very vaguely, like, keep in mind, even the good guys winning, I'm not sure what that means. Who would be the good guys and how they would win? Because I feel like Danny getting on the throne would be one way the good guys win. And I and I'm to the point now where that's maybe that's pretty much it. Because <laughs> there's a point I thought, well, maybe Stannis, maybe John, maybe certain other characters could win by getting on the, the throne, but they were pitted against each other. But now I don't feel like there's another good guy vying for the throne. So maybe that's the way the good guys win: is Danny gets the throne of Westeros. Even if that happens, so it can't be complete. And maybe it's better that way. But I don't see Danny getting the throne, and Winterfell and the Iron Islands falling in line and Dorne you know what I mean I don't see her having a throne and the some united Westeros right she might get the throne but the kingdom won't be united you know Mm -hmm. and maybe that even is sort of a a good compromise of an ending where it's happy but not perfectly happy you know another potential is the good guys don't win it's more tragic and I feel like there's enough tragedy I can't believe that George is going to drag us through all these books and seasons of a show just to have <laughs> John die, Tyrion die, Danny die, and just everyone die and Roose be king of the north and that's the end, you know? Like it it seems like it's dark and tragic enough that it could happen, but it's I don't see it getting to that extreme. I don't see it being this perfect, tidy, happy ending or this awful, terrible tragedy where everyone's just dead. Just as I think about it out loud right now, that's that's what I maybe is the most likely is that Danny wins the throne, but the kingdom's not united, which also leaves it open for more shows or books, offshoots and stuff like that from a, a marketing standpoint, if you will. But point is that this is a way it could end. This could be part of the climax. It's true. This is a good idea that the White Walkers are coming and the only one can do anything about it are these characters that we hate. And who do you hate more? These people that have done terrible, awful things or these mindless zombies that are going to kill everyone. You know, who do you root for in this situation? And it would be an interesting dilemma. And I want to say the type of thing that Martin would do, you know, where we have to root for bad guys, you know. Okay, let's see. Let's look for another good question. Lots of good questions coming in. Remember, folks, there's still time to submit questions and get them upvoted and have them answered live. We've got about 45 minutes left in the episode so keep them coming lots of good ones still left to answer so let's keep going here from the canadian dude in episode nine of season three bran tells osha to take rickon to the umbers do you believe they might be players next season do you also think it's possible that they're behind the north remembers and might take the role of the manderly plot similar to the books well i won't comment on the manderly plot similar to the book because that would be a bit spoilery but as for them being players next season I definitely think so. There is some hints that one of the rumored castings sounds a lot like an Umber, the way he's described. It could either be a recast of Great John or some <coughs> other Umber that they're deciding to introduce. So, yeah, and Umbers, have, they've, they've made some casual mentions of the Umbers here and there to kind of keep them in mind. You know, there's Ramsey's line, what, what, do I look like a fucking Umber to you? You know, they've kind of mentioned them here and there just to... You know, whenever they do that, it's kind of, to me, it, it's, it's a clue that they want to include that family a bit later. So I do think it's likely the Umbers are going to play a role. They're a great TV family to show because they're known for being huge people. It's like a, the line of Umbers is filled with oversized men with huge beards that are known for being, you know, fearless fighters. It's just kind of a 
basically a thing with that house. It and makes for boring, boring episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason they're like that is they are the farthest north of the house, closest to the wall. Meaning, so they actually have, over the course of their existence, they have been fighting off wildling raids forever. And of course, they live in a really harsh climate, so it kind of makes sense that they'd be tough and and warlike and very northern in their attitudes. So I really hope that we see them next season, and I hope we see a lot of them next season. I'll point out on my list of characters that have been kind of left out, like hanging, da da da. I didn't even think of Rickon. That's like a whole other one. That's a whole other thing that I maybe they just disappear and go away, don't matter anymore. Rickon right? and Osha, yeah, yeah. But I feel like they should come into play at some point. Like yeah. one option is that they just got killed along the way somewhere. And we never hear about that. And that's just the end of it. <laughs> nah, but another no, option is they get to the Umbers. And the Umbers are like, a Stark is still alive. Let's just stay at home and not do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like they're going to let someone know. Well, that's Send a big a Raven, deal. You know? yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a big deal for them. They're like, crap. <clears throat> yeah, because like, if, if, if they've been, the Starks have such an amazing reputation in the North. And most of the Northern houses are very bought into... Stark should be in charge, and there should always be a Stark in Winterfell, and etc. So yeah, <coughs> the North is full of traditionalists, and Stark Starks being in charge is a tradition. So yeah, you could really see them getting involved. I hope the show brings them in and makes them fun for us. Here's another question. Okay, I'm going to respond to a comment from Barger Films. It's, it's basically the comment is in the book they don't like dragons I wouldn't think they would back her that is in reference to the possibility of the Bravosi backing Daenerys now that is a good observation this almost certainly won't happen in the books however it could even it's true that the Bravosi hate dragons the Bravosi also hate slavery and Danny is the biggest ender of slavery in the world right now so it's really hard to decide how the Bravosi would want to react on one hand yeah they hate the dragons they might want to see the dragons dead but Daenerys herself, as an ender of slavery, they would be all for that. So she might be kind of a divisive figure amongst the Bravosi. I don't know. That's a tough question. Would she pay him back? Mm. There's, <laughs> there's also the fact that the show has not introduced the fact that the Bravosi hate dragons. So they may just skip that. Yeah. They, may, they may just not include that facet of history and, and just... The show and the books might also diverge at some points, too. Absolutely. That could be a point where they diverge. Definitely, definitely. I agree with that. Um, okay, so let's see. Another question. Since we're just talking about Bravos, here we go. From Jake the Fifth. What are your overall thoughts on the faceless men at this point? After the finale revealed that Jaken wasn't even Jaken, Arya ended up blind instead of dead, etc., etc. Was Jaken's original mission in Westeros to find Arya? That's the thing I had been asking. Uh, that's the thing that had occurred to me. I should say a friend of mine brought the question up when talking about Game of Thrones. Why was he there in the first place? And I was like... That's a good question. I should have thought of that myself, and I started thinking about the different reasons for it. And if there's any active reason for it, I don't feel like there are many clues to it. But it could be some more vague thing like destiny, you know, the will of the gods or something, which I wonder a lot about in this show in general. I feel like that maybe even it's something that's underanalyzed or underthought about is the relevance of the different religions and the wills of the gods of those religions. I can't help but think that... Uh, in the past, I, I've, I've heard you talk about how there seems to be, magic seems to be seasonal. It seems to kind of rise and fall, maybe be connected to other things. Like, maybe it's not a coincidence that the dragons are coming about at the same time that the zombies are coming about. And that that's maybe connected to the presence of magic in the world. Maybe that's connected to the approaching winter. 
but maybe it's connected to the gods. Maybe in the heavens, <laughs> the, the gods of the cold and the gods of the light are like at odds and that's playing out among men. You know, I don't know if they're tooling around with men to settle their disputes or if the actions of men are affected or re- reflected by the, the actions and wills of the god. But uh, on some level, it makes me wonder if one of the gods is good or right or bad or correct or more powerful or less powerful, more true or less true. And if so, which one? They certainly get featured. We certainly, this season specifically, has had a lot of featuring the, the House of Black and White, which is centered around this religion, and the Sparrow, the, the, the Seven in uh, King's Landing has been... Mm. M- there's been more religious factor in this season than all other seasons combined, right? And doing a season recap, that's something I should think about for a minute. Maybe it's maybe now is the time for us to start. Maybe this is George's or whoever's clue. Hey, religion is a big deal. We're going to have a whole season about it, you know? As we close in on the end, religion is more important than politicking. In fact, that was a thought I had about the... Uh, I gotta make sure because I have all these specific points that I want to make, and I, I like answering <laughs> the questions, but I want to make sure to get some of these points. That uh, this season in general has shifted. I was thinking about just now. It occurred to me how much it shifted religion, but it reminded me also a lot of the intrigue shifted to the north. That's true. In the beginning, and I'll jump in <coughs> quick to say that from again from casting news, it looks like that's going to stay there. There'll be a lot of yeah. northern intrigue still next season, even with, even without Stannis. Characters went from the north to the south. People went from the north to King's Landing. And all this intrigue started to play out. But slowly, characters from King's Landing started to leave and or die. And intrigue got spread around and then eventually concentrated in the north. As Mance and the Wildlings are brought to the Wall, Stannis shows up at the Wall, John becomes Lord Commander, Alistair's vying for position. If you include the Wall in the north in general, like um, at Winterfell... Bruce is there, Littlefinger shows up, Sansa gets married. There's all these sort of like maneuvering and politicking that before was all about King's Landing. Now it's all about the North. Not that there's no maneuvering or politicking in King's Landing, but there's way less. There's just no Littlefinger there, no Mm -hmm. Varys there. Cersei's sent away, put Marjorie in jail and sent Mace away. And, you know, there's just (laughs) uh, less intrigue to be had, less characters to do it way more up in the north there's more at stake in the north you know the question who's going to be king has been more in the north than in the south it was as far as people in king's landing it's settled tom is king that's it but in the north no it's not settled <laughs> <clears throat> who's head of winterfell is stannis king who's supporting him how what's going to happen with the wildlings who are they going to bend the knee to that those questions are all happening in the north now so interesting shift yeah Okay, well, let's take it. Let's take it uh, <coughs> south for a minute here. Let's respond to this question from. Well, actually, this is not. This is not from the south. This is all over. Let's go, Viljar Eikeland here. Do you know? Do you feel like the show has become a show that cheats to help the bad guy rather than cheats to help the good guy? I seriously believe that Superman wouldn't stand a chance against Show Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> I think they cheat time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they cheat time for sure. There's some, <laughs> and it's another thing too that I. It, it was a moment that I felt I I could have done a better job. I think, and it, it sometimes it's really simple. The scene where I, I'm kind of guessing what they're referring to is how Ramsey just like almost magically ruined Stannis's army. Just mm-hmm. twenty guys snuck yeah, in, started yeah. fires, ran away. We never even see it, and they're just destitute. And I think they just they just show us a scene of Ramsey like 
head creeping over a ledge. You to the left. You to the right. Light up torches. It could have lasted like literally 30 seconds. 30 seconds of Ramsey approaching, giving out some directions. Someone lights a fire. Cut. Next scene is Melisandre. Yeah. Just let us see that Ramsey did it. You know what I mean? I... And I, I think that they're not. I think it's a thing. Is I don't think they're cheating. And so far as how could Ramsey possibly have done that? I think it's very real. They could have shown a guard asleep. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which also made have that would have been good too, because it takes no time, no money, just a shot. They have all these dudes in uniform anyway. Just get one shot of this guy asleep. Have Ramsey <laughs> point at the guy. Have him show him light a fire. Then we see Ramsey, you know, doing the thing. And we and Jan- Stannis is a little more justified in his treatment of the guards. You know, when he's like, interview them, have them hanged. You know, they're either with us or against us or whatever. You know, um, point is, I I think that they, uh, I can also see how maybe it was pretty quick how powerful the Faith Militant got. Cersei's like, hey, I'll let you guys uh, have some power back. Okay, thanks. Now the King's Guard can't even beat us. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, that was really quick. That is another example of being rushed. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think they're cheating time more so than the powers of the bad guys. I think that Jorah should have been killed, and assuming you think of Jorah as a good guy, which I do, he should have been killed in those fighting pits, but he wasn't. You know what I mean? So they're yeah. cheating for the good guys as much. There's a lot of cheating in, in, in action scenes where people just kind of stop fighting to kind of look at something. You know, they have these moments and yeah. frozen moments in time. And that's kind of the reverse cheating. Instead of speeding up, they slow things down. That is, of course, a very, very common device in TV and movies. That is n- not remotely a thing that Game of Thrones is unique for. But I also think that there is some... some I do agree with this in some point. The Boltons have suffered surprisingly few consequences for their actions in some ways. And also there's, to some extent, the Sons of the Harpy sort of cheat. <laughs> the way yeah. they, the, some of these really obvious ways they could be discovered, like find the guy, like not necessarily, some of these things don't necessarily work. These aren't obvious, these aren't necessarily flaws in the way the Sons of the Harpy were written. But for example, find, you know, find where these masks are being made or find who the source of these masks or how did they, you know, like you said, with the, the, the pit scene. How did they not know to check people for weapons? It's the controlled environment. You know, they get to they get to take attendance and you can check to see who's, you know, check, pat people down like they do in events here. Things like that. It seems like the Sons of the Harpy were a little too omnipresent in, in, their, in their scenes. But I'm not sure if that counts as cheating. It just seems to me like they were... Danny's team was a little bit too powerless. Especially after... Dario showed how skillful he was at finding that guy hiding behind the wall. He was like, you you know, you don't remember. You don't know how fear works, Grey Worm. That's why you're not good at this. So Dario knew what he was doing, but they didn't follow up on that. They didn't. That didn't lead to more rooting out of Sons of the Harpy. That just was like, hey, look, I found this one guy. <laughs> it's another type of thing, too. In my mind, I can kind of justify it away. I can say, well, they, they just need an inside guy. All they need to do is, like, have one member of the Harpy at each entrance where they're checking people. And yeah, him yeah, just yeah, yeah. not check, or, oh, this guy's fine, let him through. And Amy even hinted at it, yeah, a lot of people were wondering if his daughter maybe had something to do with setting that up. But I shouldn't have to sit at home and figure out how it possibly could have happened. It should be clear in the show, and it could do it with, like, a line of dialogue. You know, yeah. they just have one harpy guy, just have two guys say, you go to the north gate, I'll go to the south gate. Make sure our men get through. Got it. And then walk away, and we see a mask in their hand. And, like, all right, you know what I mean? It's... I feel like there's sometimes I can understand why they don't do a certain thing because 
it would take too much time up in the episode yeah. or it would be, have it be a huge expense. I think about having read book one. I think about like Caitlin sailing down to meet Ned, having to film this whole scene of her out on a boat and everything. Like some wooden, like a, like a ship that would fit for the times, especially like, yeah, oh, like, yeah we got to make a wooden galley. You have to cast the captain. Yeah. This is all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Just don't do that. It's fine. You yeah. don't need that. You didn't need that, but you do need when you're suddenly going to have hordes of bad guys flood into this control with weapons that, that are should be getting hunted down already like it's as a viewer you're gonna have to make sense of that and sometimes you find a way to do it but we shouldn't be having to find a way to do it in my opinion you know okay uh next question let's see here you mentioned the kingsguard briefly so let's take this kingsguard question how did they know there was an opening in the Kingsguard for Robert Strong that fast? It may send a marathon raven straight from the Bravo's brothel right after Marin's death to arrive in King's Landing, just as Cersei was finishing the last leg of her walk of shame. Well, yeah, no, they just screwed up. There were five Kingsguard with Tommen and Cersei in those early King's Landing scenes. And then there's Jamie and Marin Trant. And this is after Marin left. So that's seven Kingsguard. And then all of a sudden Robert Strong has joined the Kingsguard. So they just thought we wouldn't notice. This, this brings me to a point, either they didn't think we would notice or they didn't think we would care or they didn't notice <laughs> themselves. <laughs> and this brings me to a point that I want to basically, I'm going to pump all of us up right here. Game of Thrones fans, especially book readers, not ju- I'm not saying book readers are better than show that's not This is not what I mean by this comment at all. But we're a very attentive bunch. We really are detail-oriented people. It, the series attracts people like that, not only because there are so many details, but because digging for details is a very rewarding process. Because I've said this before in some of our book-centric episodes, but it bears repeating here. When you have something that is well-defined, that is well-understood, when you have something that is works well, in other words, if you keep digging and you keep finding more fun things, well, you're going to keep digging. If you dig, if you look too closely at some books, some of my favorite fantasy books, if I look at them too closely, they fall apart. There's plot holes, inconsistencies. That's really common for lots of TV shows. Game of Thrones has its own plot holes and inconsistencies. But the ones that we notice are, are, are brought out so much more because the, the fandom is just so attentive and so in love with some of these specific details. So that's something that, these, that, the, that the showrunners here are faced with that is very unique. They're, they have a very scrutinizing audience that most shows do not have. And they're not, they're, most TV shows get compared to other TV shows. But Game of Thrones TV is compared to one of the most epic and well-loved fantasy series of all time. That's a totally different paradigm. So, yeah, so this is a big tangent for a question about Robert Strong getting into the Kingsguard. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think they just screwed up. I think, I mean, you can, you can write it off. You can say, oh, well, there were five unnamed Kingsguard. Eh. One of them died. One of them just got sick and died. That's what we have to do. We have to make up our own explanations. And if that made-up explanation fits, I'm generally satisfied by it because it's a, you, know, you can pretend that that's a... a if, if, you're, if you're putting yourself, immersing yourself in the world, you want things to fit. You want them to be consistent. And if that explanation fits, even if it, the showrunners didn't give it to us, well, I can accept it. But if nothing fits, that's when I have a problem. But I can, I can accept a Kingsguard dying off-screen, an unnamed Kingsguard dying off-screen, even though there wasn't anything really to indicate what would have killed him. You know, there wasn't any major conflict at King's Landing. But hell, he could have, you know, he could have just gotten really sick. You know, it's the, they don't understand bacteria and viruses, so this dude could have just gotten, you know, a little infection or something and died. So, yeah, 
You know, I, I, it hadn't occurred to me, but here's the thought on it. Jamie might be in for a surprise when he gets back. No. Well, <laughs> right? he's gonna be, there's a couple of surprises. <laughs> yeah, he's in, definitely going to be surprised by who his new subordinate is. He's like, this guy is on my Kingsguard? No, no, I'm supposing Jamie might not be in a Kingsguard. Oh, like Cersei would try to kick him out? Cersei was in jail. Kyburn might try to. Kevin well, might they can't. Try they, to. Well, that, that's a that's a member. Like I guess technically the 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 precedent has been set by the dismissal of Barristan, but that was a precedent. Yeah. No one ever has been dismissed from the Kingsguard until Barristan. I don't think the the Faith would do that because I think if the Faith wanted to take him out, they would, you know, they would they would execute him for some sort of crime. I don't think they would demand that he leave the Kingsguard because the the Faith. I don't think would go against that tradition, even though Cersei did. I don't think they would take that precedent and go, ah, the fl- now we can do that. The floodgates are open. I think they would honor the tradition. of Because the, the Kingsguard is a holy institution. It's seven pr- protectors of the king. So I don't think, I think they would, I, don't, I think they would take a, a conservative view on that and be, well, this is, this is the, this is, these are the rules. He's, he's a Kingsguard. They would they either execute him or leave him. There's no, I don't think there's a middle ground there. There's no gray area there. I don't think they would just dismiss him. May they would either execute him, dismiss him, or chop his hand off. Chop his other uh, hand off. All right, I guess we have to dismiss him. Send him <laughs> to the wall. <laughs> so that is an alternative to being executed. Wouldn't that be interesting? Jamie Lannister on the wall. Okay, so let's see. More questions. Johan Petman, would Game of Thrones work better as an animated series? Well, I, I like that question. That's good. I think y- it might. You could still have some of these amazing voice actors doing the, the voice jobs, and you would am- remove a lot of the issues that real family was faced with. You don't have to worry about things like ships. You just draw them instead of having CGI ships. You, you don't have yeah. to worry about actors aging up. You don't have to worry about the cast getting too old, which is a real problem with child actors because, you know, like we said, with, with Bran, he's... Hit puberty, and now, you know, yeah. they already had to recast. They recast. Marcello was recast. Greg, Gregor Clegane was recast twice. Great John just left, and so they just, you know, don't use him anymore. So, yeah, it's really, uh, it's, it's strange to think about the, the differences between how an animated show would work and how a, a live-action show would work. I think it would work quite well that way. You lose a lot, too, though, to be fair. Yes, you do. You don't get Lena Headey's... Facial expressions. You no, don't yeah. get, you know, sure. you, you lose the ability A lot of the actors to... have amazing facial yeah. expressions. Yeah, yeah. You really, that's a big loss. <clears throat> I agree. Also, it might be a little tougher to market because it's uh, animated stuff is going to tend, whether they even mean it or not, it'll tend to be marketed towards kids. Yeah. And it should not be. <laughs> it would not be on HBO either. I don't, yeah. think, I don't think HBO... I mean, maybe HBO will change it up and decide to do an animated show. That's but the, I don't, HBO's never done an animated series. I don't series, think they have. I don't think yeah. Showtime has either. I just don't think it's their thing. Yet. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems like some studios just really have that unlocked, and they're just, it's like a skill that some studios have. They're really good at making animated things, and they just keep doing that. It's not something you just lightly get into. You know, certain studios <coughs> have that expertise, and certain ones don't. Do you mind if I take a second to make sure I'm hitting the different points, the different yeah. things I wanted to talk Let's about? Let's do I mean, it, yeah. It might actually take me a second to, to even look at what I have written down here, but... Um, I, there's a question here that's just for me, so you can take a look at that while right. I'll answer this one question here. Uh, for, okay, from Corky94. For Aziz, if the Faith or Cersei's trial proved Joff and Tommen were illegitimate and bastards and never true kings, what happens to the legitimization of Ramsay? Does he go back to Snow status? Well, typically when we'll, we'll use some real-world examples or real-world legal legalese to, to kind of handle this question, it's going to depend. It is no automatic Tommen's decrees won't all be overturned automatically just because he's proven to be a bastard. It will be at the decision of whoever becomes king in Tommen's place. 
he will uphold this new king, whoever he is, or queen, whoever she is, would have the option of upholding some of these decisions or just ignoring them. If 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 he or she doesn't care about the Boltons, they're not going to overturn that decision. It's just not going to matter to them. But if someone comes up to her and say, hey, look, the Boltons are your enemy. You have to deal with them. Here's a political thing you can do. You can overturn that legitimization. That'll throw a monkey wrench in their plans. So it just depends on whether whoever whether and whoever is going to see the Boltons as an enemy. So that is a distinct possibility, but it is no by no means automatic. It is not a certainty. Let's see. What do you got, Sean? All right, so one thing that I did is I went back. I wanted to see the beginnings of the different storylines in uh, from this season. I wanted to see where we started yeah. off, where people started off, and think about where they've gone since then. I was hoping maybe to find some, some ironies, uh, <clears throat> or some clues, some foreshadowing. And so here are just a couple different thoughts and notes that I had. We start off at the very very beginning of the season, we have the Cersei's flashback. But then we see the scene where Cersei's going to see Tywin's body. I guess, you know, the funeral. And in that scene, we they, we, they kind of feature a few different characters. Cersei, Marjorie, she's walking by her and Marjorie. She's just had the flashback and... She, She's, she kind of eyes Marjorie, and Marjorie kind of gives her the... I don't even know quite how to describe their facial expressions, but it was a good moment between them. And she passes the old High Sept, who... But, you know, <laughs> my queen, all these people from around the camp, they can wait, you know. And she goes inside and sees Jamie. By the end of the season, all those characters, Cersei, the Sept, Mar- uh, Marjorie, and even Jamie, are... At low points, they're mm-hmm. they're maybe dead. The set they've lost their power. They're in jail. They've been embarrassed. They've been in prison, and so on and so on. Like it's a, interesting those characters that start off in these high positions of power and opening scene at the end of the season have all fallen. Jamie's the 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 least worst off of them, but all those opening characters that were presented to us all took a fall. That's a good point. Uh, it's almost like everyone falls. It's like uh, some sort of theme. <laughs> yeah. And the up north, there was a scene that Mance told John because Stannis wanted him to go uh, convince him to have the, them fight, right? And Mance says, the freedom to make my own mistakes is all I ever wanted. He says that to John. <laughs> yeah. And that reminded me of later on when Danny is talking to Dario. And he's like, well, you're the least free woman in... Uh, I can't remember if he told it to her or if she told it to him, but she's He's, the least free woman in Marine that she she can't yeah. choose. You're you're a queen, but you can't choose to do X Y Z. It's kind of interesting that Mance, that's all he ever wanted, and he <laughs> can't do it. You know, um, Mance also gets killed. I don't think Danny's going to be killed, but <laughs> I will say a thought that started to stew in me as I was watching these kind of intro things. I was so sure that John was dead, but Melisandre's going to bring him back. So I don't know. Maybe John's just dead. I, I, I've started to consider he might just be dead. If, if I just had to choose right now, I still predict Melisandre's going to bring him back. But I just started to think about what does he do if he comes back? We were talking about it earlier. Is he just rejoin the Night's Watch? Is everyone just cool with that? Is he cool with everyone in Night's Watch? Does he go to go to Winterfell? Just walk up all by himself? Hey, I'm going <laughs> to take you over now. Like, Do other people... Even know he's dead, do they accept him coming back? Is it like do the wildlings like, oh, John, you're not? Did they ever know he's? How quick does he come back? Is Melisandre maybe she just uses his blood 
You know, maybe. And he uses blood for what? To bring Stannis back? Assuming Stannis is even dead? I don't know. I started thinking about a lot of things. Um, let's see. Arya's list. The opening scene. It was really interesting. When we see her, we don't even see it till the second episode. She wasn't in the first episode. The second episode, she goes to the house of black and white, and they don't let her in at first. And so she lays outside with her list. Marin Trant, Walter Cersei, Frey. Walter Frey, and Gregor Green. Yeah. I think she calls in the mountain. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, you know, kind of going back to that, she, if you remember, she's just like, ah, screw it. She just flings her coin into the water and just go, fine, I'll just do things. I'll do it, on, do it by myself. I don't need the house in black and white. <laughs> I wonder if she ever really abandoned that decision. Because hmm. remember, she's in the streets and the guys come after her and the, the Jake and whoever character you know, appears behind her. She follows him back, takes her in, reveals Jake's face, all this other stuff. But I can't help but wonder, rewatching that scene, knowing how things go, she doesn't really care about it. She just went, <laughs> she didn't really care in the first place. She didn't know what else to do. She just wanted to get out of, of Westeros. She, so I've got this coin. I might as well go to Bravos. I'll check out this house of black and white thing. She goes there and they don't want her. Fine. Throws her coin in the water. I'll do it on my own. She's still <laughs> naming that list off. I'm not so sure uh, where things are going with Arya. That's another thing that kind of got my gears thinking whether or not she's really going to sacrifice herself and become this house of black and white. Maybe going blind will be enough to really do it. But I feel like she was never, and we keep seeing it over and over again, she doesn't throw the sword in the water. She buries it. She's, Marin Trant comes, screw the merchant. I'm killing Marin Trant. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think she, she, she is still Arya. She is, she's definitely like, I think we touched on this earlier in the season. She's kind of the hardest figure as to how she's going to fit into the greater plot line. And eventually it's like, well, maybe it seems like she'll be killing people, but who? I don't know. There's so many possibilities. Like revenge, like Walter, the people on her list, eh, it seems like she'll probably get some of the people on her list. But what about, I can't, that can't be it. That can't be her whole arc. It's just killing just Robert, killing Walter list. Frey and, and Cersei, and that's it. That's it. She's done that. She's done after that? No, I don't think so. I think it's going to be more to it. But yeah, I really don't, really Even have no idea. Even killing Walter Frey, I'm just trying to imagine the timeline of that over two, they got two seasons. Yeah. I mean, they could, they could do it in two episodes if they wanted to. It would be, you know, episode one. All right, this House of Black and White's not for me. I'm going back to Westeros. Episode mm-hmm. 8, back in Westeros. i got to find Walter Frey. Episode 1 of Season 7, she's at the, the Twins or whatever. You know, I can, I can imagine it happening, but what else? Well, let's, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a good question. Some people have touched on this sort of through the questions. This is kind of a, a, an overarching curiosity that a lot of people have. And this has been expressed in different ways. So I'll try to make it more concise by asking the question myself. What do you think some general predictions from next year as far as the overseas characters. As far as what the people, how things in King's Land are going to play out and how things in Dorne are going to play out, that's a tough question. But we all, because there's a lot of different ways they can go, but we all kind of have a sense that 99% chance Danny comes over from Essos and comes into Westeros and stuff happens. What exactly is going to happen? I don't know. Same with Ari. She's going to come back over. What she's going to do, I don't know. But she's going to do something. We might at least have a, a sense of when that will happen. When is Arya going to come over, and when is Danny going to come over? You have any, uh, any guesses on that? Given that there's, let's assume that it's just two more seasons, because there's some talk that there'll be an eighth season, just like there's talk that there'll be an eighth book instead of seven books. That there's that that talk has existed for like ten years, by the way. <laughs> so, my personal prediction for Danny is end of next season. But she comes over to Westeros. Gives a full season of her in Westeros to do stuff and wrap it up. Maybe midway through the season. But I feel like it'll be more towards the end. And it could be the actual end. That would be like a real epic 
end to the season. Season six, Danny sets sail. Her ships are all going. Like all the dragons, dragons and, flying in the background. Yeah, that would be a really epic <laughs> e- outro, and it would be a lot more uplifting than seeing John dead in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arya, I really don't know. I think it pro- maybe around the same time, but I, Arya is just, I just have no idea. Danny's arc is a little simpler because you kind of figure, even if he doesn't take the throne. You know her dragon's got to get involved in the greater story. Yeah. So Arya, Arya, I still know. But Danny, I, I, I feel like, like, I like my guess with, with Danny. Arya, I just don't part know. Part of why it's easy to predict Danny is because she's sort of had this mission from the beginning. Right, right. And to be clear, not the very beginning, but by the end of season one. By the end of season one. Leading into season one, the closest thing she had a mission was not so dresses. You know what I mean? She just <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah, want to yeah. be a little princess, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> but... You know, by when Ned gets killed, from there forward, she has a mission. She has her list. Well, Danny didn't exactly have a mission either. Her, you know, her mission was to not wake up the dragon and her brother. You know, but by the end of season one, before the end of season one, really, well, in fact, in fact this is good because this is going to lead me to another thought that I had. Cool. Another thing I wrote down because <laughs> it was, it was, it wasn't the end of season one. She definitely was trying to convince Call to get her back home. She wanted to go back home, whatever home meant. She didn't even know what it meant, what her mission meant, you know. Yeah. But, but she had this idea that she wanted to go back home. Was trying to convince Call Drago to do it. When he gets killed, though, she doesn't abandon that mission. And I should be clear because this is something I just read in book one. Okay, this mm-hmm. wasn't in the show that I can remember. But she does have another mission. She vows vengeance on. Drogo's riders that raped and killed that woman that she saved from being raped. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, but and those riders are already dead in the show. Did they get killed in the show? The one who got his throat torn out by Drogo. Yeah? Yeah. That was him. That was the one. That was the guy that, that demanded that slave girl be returned to him. He's still alive in the books. So yeah. it's a, that conflict, that potential for conflict exists in the books, but he's dead in the show. So that was another thing I started yeah. to think about that... that Colossar that started surrounding her like what if that's one of those guys and I couldn't quite remember in my mind how it went in the show and how it went in the book but I was wondering if that's one of the guys she had sworn to get vengeance on because I, I remember thinking how it was just kind of abandoned in the show because when I read the book it was like this such a powerful moment that just seemed to go again I know the show and the book are different and I don't remember exactly which name she named or what they did. or I, I, I couldn't distinguish in my mind how it went differently in a book and a show. But I just remember thinking, it's weird how that just went away. It hasn't just been mentioned <laughs> one time to anyone yep. or anything. This is why we need to do, this is why our book to show episodes are important for people who've read the books. Because it is, it's easy to, to, to get those details crosswired like that. Yeah, yeah. Where you think something that happened in the show also happened in the books. Or something similar, very similar, but some one totally important detail that just changes the whole picture. Okay, some more good questions. Let's see from Hand of the King, Cash Craig. We've sort of talked about, we sort of touched on this question, but this is a two-part question. We haven't at all touched on the second part of it. So how much do you think Bran learned in his season-long absence? Is it possible he has somehow influenced certain events this year? We sort of talked about the first part, but not maybe not directly. So I'll let you answer that first part. How, how much do you think Bran learned in his season-long absence? Do you think he's gotten pretty powerful obviously he's this weird kind of like supernatural character that seems like yeah. he's beyond he's sort of like fourth wall almost at this point in earlier seasons i kind of had this issue with danny's storyline that i felt like she pretty much just got whatever she wanted it kept me from listing her as one of my favorite characters because especially past season one i felt like season one she was like growing you know but pretty much i felt like in season two and three maybe even four i i, I think about it a little bit more but 
I remember when I when the thought occurred to me was when she was uh, meeting with that guy, and I remember that it was a good episode too. I, I'm almost certain it was season four because uh, there was this parallel between this guy that was coming to meet with Danny from a, a, the city they were going to conquer, which probably was Marine, if I remember right, right? And he was being carried, like he had these guys like carrying him. Oh, I, think this was young, I think this was Young Kai, when they, when they brought like the huge chest of gold. Kai. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was Young Kai. And he was like paraded through this I think it was streams of, of guards, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then brought to Danny, and there's dragons, and he just all around, he was like in peril just to meet with her. And it was, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that was following a scene where... Tywin went to meet with Joffrey, and Tywin just walks into the room, walks right up to Joffrey, towers over him. Just the <laughs> difference in the power that Danny had versus the power that Joffrey had. The yeah, difference in the yeah. position that guy was in versus the position Tywin was in. Anyway, that, that was a well-shot, well-written scene. But one thing that I started to wonder when that was happening was, I wonder if Danny will conquer that city next episode or next season. And the fact that that was a thought that I had made me realize Danny has no real conflict. She just do whatever she wants. They're just pacing it out. Does that make sense? It's just a matter of whether or not she conquers this city next episode and then another city the next episode, another city the next episode, another city. <laughs> or if it takes a whole season to conquer the city. But there's no question she was going to conquer this season. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I kind of feel the same way about Bran. I feel like they... It's a slightly negative thought that I have. They can just kind of do whatever they want with him. It's magic. And yeah, hopefully yeah, they'll do something cool or neat. Uh, I was pretty. It was a part of why I like season four. Was I was really taken aback by that scene when the skeletons came out and the, the <laughs> yeah. children was the, of the of the, the children of the forest. Children of the forest was like throwing those little fireballs. Like, whoa, this is crazy. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is like <laughs> kind of unique among stuff that's happened in the show. I was yeah. really kind of blown away by that. So I don't want to be too negative about it. It could be a cool, awesome thing, but it's just really difficult to predict it's just something i feel like they could just do whatever they want and i just kind of hope they do something good i i can kind of make a tense of predicting big picture long term stuff but the details of i don't know i think just from talking about it here what i kind of expect is a lot of him just in an incapacitated state eyes glossing over and then we see what he's seeing and some of it will be flashbacks that will inform us of storyline stuff Maybe some foreshadowing. Maybe there'll be some of him going into other characters' minds or other animals and stuff like that. That is certainly the second part of the question here. Is it possible he has somehow influenced certain events this year? Someone else asked a question along here that uh, I can't find about him potentially influencing some of the ravens that we saw on screen. Like there was the raven eating the corpse, the corpse of Lord Serwin at Winterfell and some other things like that. Which could be a nod to Bran being on the watch looking out for but i i don't see any overt that would be really neat by the way if next season we resaw some scenes from this season from the point of view Ooh, of a crow that would be or cool. whatever or a wolf you yeah know, if we, we have see, seen if, the wolf view before if we dream, see but. if we see ghost perspective of saving gilly and realize that's bran yeah you know yeah, something yeah. like that i don't know but okay. but that was another little thing i noted by the way uh, Ghost was in the opening scene with John in the wall in the beginning when he yeah. was like training Ollie. Not Ghost many other there. places. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we were running towards the end here, about 10 to 12 minutes left. Let's take a few more questions. 
from Vantashine. Hello there. It seems that the reason the Dornish storyline was so weak and not loved by many people is because it was made up by D&D and not taken from the original source material. Are you worried of how this would affect next season since Winds of Winter is not done yet? Yes, personally, I am worried about that. That may be less apparent to you, Sean, specifically how much of the source material has been used and how much hasn't. But yeah, I am worried about that. So yeah, so I am worried about that because they're, they're going to have to invent more of their own material and they have to invent it built on the top of their own material they've already invented rather than building on the top of existing source material because of the old butterfly effect, the butterflies becoming dragons effect from George's point of view. I don't suppose there's a lot to say about that other than, yes, I am worried about that possibility. It's hard to see how it will impact certain storylines, and it also really has to do a lot with how much George has told them about how certain plot lines will go and how, how you know, whether he's told them a lot of details or just given them the high points. Yeah, yeah I can imagine... Again, obviously, I haven't read the book, so I don't really know, but I can imagine there are maybe, like, tentpole moments that have to happen, and they know that, and so they just yeah. make those moments happen, but sometimes those moments might not make sense if you don't know some of the details of how you got there, why you got yeah. there, even, and that might even disrupt further tentpole moments if you don't get it right, you know, so I suppose it's something to worry about, but... uh I also hope and wonder that George still at least kind of keeps tabs on this. And if they, at the end, if they did something wrong, he can like give them some advice. Hey, you're going to have to find a way, do something with brand so that this <laughs> doesn't happen. Now. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> okay. A couple more questions here. Quick one here. How about Dario from Brenton Van Mogadon? Uh, who wins in a fight, Jora or Dario? Well, I say Jora if they're fighting over Danny. If they're just fighting for for the hell of it, I say Dario. I think Jorah has just un has like can summon this incredible extra motivation, can go to 110% when Danny is at issue. Just see how he was in the pits and how he fought there and we saw how badass he was. And how badass he was when he was trying to impress his first wife or his I guess his second wife actually, Liness when he won that tournament that, where he was a huge underdog, and that was because he was, he was fighting for a woman he loved. So I think that Jorah, when he's fighting for a woman he loves, is like a different man. But when he's just fighting, he's still very good, but it's a different thing. I think Jorah would beat him otherwise. What do you think? I, overall, I like your analysis there, especially because from a literary standpoint, it seems like that's what would happen too. You know, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. What, the way they would write it. <laughs> but I, at this point, though, Dario should win. Jorah got injured in those fights. He did. He didn't get killed, but he got wounded. He did get Dario's a Dario's not wounded. Blows, Dario's yeah. at the top of his game. Yeah. And uh, Grayscale so. maybe slowing, might slow down Jorah a little yeah, bit Yeah, and not to mention he has Grayscale. Maybe. Scale, I don't right? know how much it impacts him this, this early stage. Maybe it makes you better. Maybe it makes you better. <laughs> <laughs> you can just catch this blade. Ching! Right my stone arm here. Just like Jamie with the... Yeah. So, uh, let's see here. Next question. Aziz, will you take my girlfriend to prom? Thanks. <laughs> Corey Daniel. Um... No, <laughs> can't do that. Sorry, that's uh, there's a lot of reasons why no. So thanks for the question, but I'll have to pass. <laughs> <laughs> How about this question from Jared Barger? What do you think will happen next season? Do you think the wall is coming down? I think the wall is coming down at some point. I don't. I don't think that the story can progress with the walkers being dangerous enough without them at least getting past it. And maybe that means it has to come down. But I think they at least have to get past it somehow, which I think means it comes down. But I don't know. What do you think? I think I think that would be terrible. I think if the wall can come down, and I've, I've made comments to this effect before, if the wall can come down, that means the White Walkers have a power so great, they shouldn't need the, the zombie army. Mm. 
You know what I'm saying? Like I think it's I don't know quite how to compare. Well, what but if it's they're like, just what if they're really small? Like what if there's only like twenty of them? They kind of do need the army in that case, don't they? Possibly, but it's the power to if they okay if they can slowly bring the wall like the changing okay, well, of first seasons of all, over like let four me, months is slow strength, but they could suddenly make you don't have to assume that the others are why the wall of came tons down tons of volume of earth material just just go away. Maybe their power diminishes as they get farther south, but it seems like if they can make it go down, they can make it go up. They can make anything go down. Well, no, what I'm saying is maybe the others aren't why it comes down. Something else could cause it to come down. It doesn't have to be them that break the it. The Lord of Light does it. Yeah, exactly. Melisandre yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a popular theory that Melisandre screws so. something up. Or... But what I think is more likely is that the wall doesn't, the whole wall doesn't come down, is that a hole is open, a passageway is opened. A they breach. Like melt a breach, right. Something that... Well, that might a, make more sense in the whole thing just coming yeah. down. That, that would be a bit much. I mean, that that's, would be that's like insanely a, uh, powerful magic, or right? Something. And it would also be again my logistic mind thinking about it. That would be like a catastrophic event. That yeah. water would just flood Westeros. <laughs> that amount of volume of water would just that like would, flood the plains. It would just of, ruin yeah, the environment. It that would be like weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would once again. They wouldn't need a zombie army. Everyone in the north would just be killed by a, a mudslides and flooding <laughs> and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, that's another thing, though. Just because they don't need that power doesn't mean they don't have it, right? Like, they can have that power. George just gave it to them. It doesn't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that that is it's terribly relevant to say that they don't need that. They do it. They can do it. Why not use that power? They can use all the abilities they have. I just think it's almost like, you know, Obama standing in front of a bunch of nuclear missiles and he pulls out a dagger. <laughs> you know, like if you have the power to bring a wall down, and like it doesn't really matter if you have a bunch of zombie army. You know, that's how I feel. Okay, next question: Will there be a book to show Q and A? I keep deleting my questions because they pertain to the book from Patreon supporter Warzip. Well, Warzip, we are going to have we we announced at the beginning of the episode, so you probably missed it. We're not going to do another book Q and A for the show this week, but we will be doing more book relevant Q and As. In the future, that will become a regular thing, and we will occasionally talk about the show instead. It will usually be book-centric, but we'll, we'll occasionally head over to the show. Maybe there'll be new casting news, things like that, reasons for bringing it back up again in between, or during the off-season, rather. Another question from John Huffs. Do you think Jamie will still make good on his promise to Bronn and still make him a lord with a better wife? Or do you think the death of Marcella changed all the plans? If not, is there a chance Bronn would betray Jamie and or Cersei because of it? All right, this is, I like this question because it's like two different notes I had written down. Nice. Um, one is uh, something I wanted to point out. Bronn said, another thing Bronn said early on, when Jamie went to get him, he was talking to his betrothed wife, right? Mm-hmm. And he told her, because she was complaining about her mean sister, he said, <laughs> mean comes around. Bronn told her, mean comes around. And we've been seeing it this season. Uh, that we've been seeing some people don't That's deserve true. it, I suppose. But it did make me think, though. John's not totally innocent. Another thought that came to my mind when I said earlier that maybe John's just dead. John did sleep with Igret. He is a traitor. He and in a lot of ways, we kind of he's kind of the not according of the to show. Sam's technicalities, right? Sam's kind of technicality, <laughs> but John feels guilty about it. John didn't yeah. buy Sam's technicality. You're right. You're right. There, there are a lot of things that, as much as we want John to be a hero and protagonist, it's so tragic that he died. He did. And and you can find these justifications, but he did kill another Watchman to join the Wildlings, and then slept with one of them. You know, it looks bad. They are kind of damning <laughs> things. It uh, looks bad. Yeah, I know. It's a very interesting looking at the looking at John's per, looking at John's as a character from the 
perspective of a Night's Watch loyalist can look yeah. bad. It can look yeah. real bad. It's yeah. really interesting, yeah. But I, I don't know if that's meanest necessarily, but uh, but it, it was interesting that the season was set up with Braun telling someone, meanness comes around, and we've seen a lot of it through the season. But it also, uh, connected to this same uh, thought here, is I was wondering if Jamie can deliver this promise still. When Jake, we talked a minute about the surprises that Jamie has in store for him when he gets back. He might not have the authority to give any land away. I don't know who is. Can can I don't know if Jamie can as a king's guard. Can you just say, all right, here's some land for you. I feel like someone's got to agree to it. The king. Maybe Tommen will just go along with it. But Tommen might not even be able to make decisions. Kevin might kind of take charge. Kevin might just go ahead and do it. Might be like no big thing to him. But Kevin might. Kevin might not be even power even be in power by the time Jamie gets there. Uh, I think Jamie would want to honor the promise. I don't think Jamie's going to go, oh, Mr. Ola dies, so no, I'm going to do it for you, Ron. Yeah, he didn't, happen, he didn't but... put a condition on it. I rewatched yeah. that or also. And, yeah, he, he was just, because when we get back, you'll get this. You know, he didn't say, depending on how well we do. or. But, uh, by the way, and this is another thought, this is the thing that I thought about that we didn't address in the last episode. What if Marcella's not dead? I was, like, thinking about... Whether or not John, I think John's definitely dead. Stannis, I don't think so. I'm assuming Sansa and Rikar. It's possible that Marcella's not dead. I'm assuming she is, but it's possible Tristan just has an antidote too. Mm. It's not crazy for it's the not Prince crazy. of Dorne. Everyone really, knows about this poison. It's that would just be so possible, weird. That would be such a bizarre. And it thing might to be do. weird, but uh, but this is the other thing that I thought. You know what else is really weird was the way Tyene leaned over Braun and said that weird line and bit his ear. Yeah, and Braun was kind of trailing behind, getting on the ship. I wonder if he like. Stole it from her. She handed it off to him. I don't know if these are. This might be hair. That's too crackpot. I think. Personally. I suppose so. But it just it just doesn't make any sense in terms of the mind. plot. Like, why would they do that? Why would they? What, what's the point of that cliffhanger? Yeah. Like, Marcella isn't exactly a character people are invested in. And if, if she just recovers, that's like okay. Well, that was a waste of time. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm not too big on that possibility personally. I'm not too big on it, but just a thought that I had. Right. That I didn't get out in that last last episode. Cool. Okay, uh, another question from Johan Petman. We have time for this one and one more. I have ten more things I wanted to talk about, so... Uh, oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think is currently the most powerful person in Westeros? The Night's King doesn't count. <laughs> I like that tech, that, uh, that caveat there, Night's King doesn't count, because it might be him. Hmm, I don't know. I think it's the High Sparrow, potentially. Yeah. Um, it depends on what you mean by most powerful. But I think it might be the High Sparrow. I think he has the most sway over the most people, and he's 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 the most powerful man in the capital right now. And they're the kingdom is very fractured, and yeah, I don't know. I think it's the High Sparrow. It's you make good points, but he is the most powerful man in the capital of a realm that's fractured. The capital has no say over the Iron Islands right now, and they probably don't have very much say over the North or Dorne. You know what I mean? So it's just really and, like it can't be Bolton. It can't be. Right. I'm not saying it is Bolton. It can't but, be Braylon Greyjoy. Like it's kind of yeah. like it has to be. De- it's like default. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe may not. May, maybe should be. Also, a lot of the power he has isn't very well organized. It's just the masses of people. He can't get the masses of people. Like if if the Highsboro decided, hey, we got to go conquer Dorne. No, well, I don't know if he could do that. It's not just the masses of people though. He also has the armed people. Like that's it's true, not just true. specifically an. Um, it's 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 a little more organized than a mob. Yeah. But it is. It does resemble a mob. But. <laughs> Danny, this but is it's back. a mob of potential zealots, which is very yeah. powerful. <laughs> Danny, the, wait, was the question in Westeros? In Westeros, in okay, yes, yes. If Danny comes with Danny. her dragon, she's the most powerful. The person who controls, yeah. assuming she has reasonable control over her dragons, most powerful person in Westeros. I wonder if there's anything to be said for Littlefinger. Yeah. Okay, and 
from, from our hand of the king, Cash Craig. Melisandre said that she and Arya would meet again. Will that really happen? Well, that might oh, answer our yeah. previous question. That might be who she targets. Maybe Melisandre will be killed by Arya. Ooh. Maybe they'll team up. Maybe Melisandre will recruit Arya. Whoa. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I have no idea what they do together. So, either they team up or one of them kills the other. <laughs> How many people on Arya's list would also be on Melisandre's list? Well, Arya, Melisandre was on Arya's list in the show last season, but it, she was dropped from How many list. on her current list? Would Melisandre care to kill Walter Frey? Would she care to kill Cersei? Maybe. She might care to kill Cersei. She not probably not. To get them. Melisandre is, only, is pretty much only concerned with the war for the Dawn. She's, that's, like, she's consistently just, I don't care about who sits the Iron Throne. She wants Stannis to, to have his power so he yeah. can consolidate it. But she has been like, wildlings don't matter. You know, the King Iron Throne doesn't matter. She's, that's kind of her, tends to be her general attitude. <laughs> so. Okay, folks, we are out of time. So thanks for the questions. There's a lot of great questions. Some of you folks, if you can, you can save those questions for some other time. We will have other opportunities for Q and A. You can always send them to us by email. We may ask. We may handle them live on another show. So we're going to go out with this question. It's going to be our exit and our segue to a goodbye all at the same time. From Warzip, Sean, you don't have to read the books. Have you ever tried audiobooks? Any tedious slash mundane task is made fun while listening to a song like and Fire. I have said that myself many times. I'm not sure if you're the audiobook type, but I do think it's a smart thing to do. It is a good way to get involved, a good way to make, like, like Warzip says, to do something fun while doing something not fun. It's a personal favorite of mine. And you can go ahead and try that out through Westeros, uh, not through WesterosHistory.com, HistoryOfWesteros.com. On the right sidebar there, there is a link to try an audible.com free trial. 30 days for free with no commitment. You get at least one free book. You can start off with Game of Thrones or with the World of Ice and Fire, something fun like that. I don't know, does that appeal to you, Sean? Or you you got to sit there and read it, don't you? Somewhat. I, I, I have listened to several clips of the first book on of the first audio book already. Yeah. Um, and I can imagine sitting down and listening to it throughout, but I don't want it to be my introduction to it. Does that make sense? I kind of want to... Let it. I don't want to be tainted by the the voice, the inflection, or the even. I kind of want to pay attention. I don't want it to be in the background. I want to be absorbed into it. Uh, I think once I have read the books, I will use audiobooks to re enhance the experience. But for me personally, I want to read it if that makes sense. So. Right on. Okay, so that is it for today, folks. Thanks everybody for the questions. Apologize to those who submitted questions that we couldn't get to. As usual, there were just so many good questions we couldn't possibly get to them all. So thanks to everybody who joined us for our Unsullied reviews this season. We will certainly be back for season six, and we may be back at some point during the offseason if we get together some questions, if Sean makes some good progress reading. Of course, make sure to check out our history-centric episodes, which we'll be getting back to in full swing. It'll be good to have Ashea back regularly. I know a lot of you have been asking about that, and I'm excited to have her back more regularly. So look out for that soon. We'll be posting updates on when the next episodes will be out and if you are a book reader check us out on thursday when we have our q a not q a sorry our live awards show episode where we pick our favorite and least favorite moments action scenes funniest moments best scenery and we'll discuss our answers all the same time best unsullied commentator is that a category <laughs> you got that on lockdown buddy <laughs> okay yes. folks see you next time valar morgulis 